Fault Lines. Live from the divided states of America, precipitously perched at the edge of this resilient and exploited globe. Welcome to your context lens for the American perspective. In the left corner, I'm your ever-vigilant, your indefatigable political analyst, Jamal Thomas. And somewhere in the center, the vixen of Veritas, the thriller in Manila, Chad. I'm also here winging it, the durag <laughs> conservative Malik Abdul. That means you guys are listening to Fault Lines with Thomas, Chan, and Abdul. Yeah, this is too weird. Thomas, Chan, Abdul. Yeah, this is a little too weird. Thomas, let's, Chan, Abdul. Let's go back to the original one. We're going to bring Malik in um, on the other thing. Malik is co-host, so there's that. Uh, but there's that. How did you guys have you guys have a good weekend? Weekend was great. I did some museum and a couple of bars. and Museum the, and bars? America's team. America's team. The Dallas Cowboys oh, gave God. a whooping <laughs> to the Minnesota Vikings on yesterday, so it is a great Monday. America's team. You root for them? What? 40 to 3? Are you kidding me? I want to take Manila's stance that she does not see them as America's team. <laughs> no, everybody's a hater. Everybody who doesn't think you uh, root- I, I root for the Cowboys. You know, being from Mississippi, we didn't we don't have um Oh, a team. A team. Team. Yeah. So, so you can choose whoever you want. You can typically it's the the new the Saints. Next closest. Oh, <laughs> typically Yo, right, it's the right. Saints because the Saints is right next Orleans, door to Louisiana. Right. But yeah, we don't have a professional football team. Oh, I never so. thought about that. That's yeah. true. Interesting. Okay, Dallas, and they beat the stepping out of Minnesota forty to three. Vikings. But I think Minnesota, um, Arkansas. Um, well, no, the Ra- they, they at least have the Razorbacks. Yeah, Mississippi and Alabama. I think we're probably one of the two who don't have, like, a professional team. sports team. That was a great idea, making those things by state. Because mm-hmm. at that point, the state, state can rivalry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can do yeah. state rivalries all across Unlike the country. Unlike my state, we have too many teams. I get we have yeah, a lot of people. Lot California. Of okay, teams. I hate that everybody tries to be the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. First of all, first of all, there's one LA baseball team, and that's the Dodgers. Go blue, baby. Yeah. Secondly, Anaheim is not even in Los Angeles. It is where Disneyland is. It's Orange County. How far is that from Los Angeles? Okay. It's literally way beyond the county border. Because if you're not from California, you have no concept of that stuff. It's like Like, it's where Disneyland is. Disneyland is in Orange County, California. It's in, Mm. in Santa Ana and it's Orange County. Yeah, because you guys have Dodgers and who else? We have like five football teams and like 10 basketball. It's just way too many. Yeah, because way I, too many. Guys teams. used to have the Los Angeles Raiders. Right. Who then went to Oakland. Who right, are Oakland now, now they're, they're, in they're in Las Vegas. Yeah. They're in then, Vegas now? And then the San Diego Chargers decided they're now the Los Angeles Chargers. Like, no. It's a little no. weird how they did. That is a little no. weird. We got the Rams back, what, five, six years ago right. from St. Louis. Still bitter. Um, <laughs> but you know what? They came back home and they won. Yeah. And now suddenly the Chargers want to move up from San Diego. Get out of here. You're from San Diego. Go Interesting. back down. Man, I haven't here. paid attention to football since I was in high school. So it's been but how was your weekend? Lazy. I don't That's think good. we... I, well, that was a cleanup weekend. Okay. It was just one of those days where you're like, all right. 3 a.m. between me and my God. We got to clean up this. this Are you house. literally cleaned? Well, yeah, because it was like, get clothing done, um, washing, everything else, especially for Thanksgiving, because I'm going to visit my family for Thanksgiving oh, nice. in Richmond. Richmond. Yeah. Okay. Nice, nice, nice. And so we're doing that. And then next month, that's when I'm going, we're going to have vacation or like a Christmas vacation. Mm-hmm. And for the most part, I don't know what the entire, I know we're going to have multiple parts of the team that are leaving. So we may you do. Are going out of town? Yeah. For Christmas? Yes. Oh, right. I'm going to see Elizabeth. 
Nice. Yes. Mm. So that should be a lot of fun. Um, Euro trip. Yes. Euro trip. You're going to make it like um, the Griswold Christmas when they go to, to Europe? Uh, I hope the not. go to Christmas. Because, you know, the first, the first trip that we took was rough. Everything went wrong. I was I like, this is going to be the greatest accident. date ever. And first day, car accident. Most of that day was spent at the car um, shop. Oh, Couldn't find the second the trip. Yeah, lost the entirety of the day. Then when we tried to go on the next trip, the phone broke, so we didn't have transportation. Oh, no. Anything that could have went wrong on that trip went wrong on that trip. It ended up being really, really good at the end of it, but yeah. in the beginning. You still lost the day. Yeah, but all things pretty cool. Let's get the headlines. Talking about me. I'll start it off. I'm As if you didn't hear over the weekend, ex-U.S. President Donald Trump confirmed on Sunday that he will not return to Twitter now that his account has been reactivated. He said I don't no. see any reason for it. They have a lots of problem. He's not coming back. This is what he says right now. Stubborn old man. Of course, of course he's going to say this because he has his truth social. This is what he's saying right now. If Donald Trump never gets on Twitter again, I would be surprised. I'd be shocked. But he says, I don't see any reason for it. They have lots of problems at Twitter. You see what's going on. It may make it, it may make it, but it may not make it. This is what Trump told the Republican Jewish coalition during a virtual appearance at their annual leadership meeting. I believe this meeting was in Vegas. A lot of potential 2024 um, candidates were there. Everyone from Tim Scott to Nikki Haley, Mike Pompeo, Chris Christie, um, Ted Cruz, and a number of others who were there. So interesting night out there going west but trump's statement confirms what he also said on his truth social account while the poll was active keep in mind elon musk created a poll asking people whether he should allow trump back on twitter i'm not sure if public sentiment is the right way to be running a company but this is musk company but as trump says Vote now with positivity, but don't worry, we aren't going anywhere. Truth Social is special. Obviously, Truth Social is the president's, the former president's um, social media platform that was supposed to compete with Twitter, and I'm not sure that it is. But another domestic news. Rapper Kanye, or Ye, has announced that he will join the race for U.S. president in 2024. So yes, Ye is running again. In a video interview with the U.S. tabloid during a visit to one of Ye's ateliers, the cameraman asked if he was going to run for president and the rapper would ply with a simple yes. The video tour amply showcased merchandise for his Ye 2024 campaign. Quoting Ye, this is Milo Yiannopoulos, a U.S. media personality famous for his right-wing opinion, right here, standing alongside Ye, working on the campaign. I'm not convinced. Actually, it's a terrible idea to have Milo not just working on his campaign. I'm not sure if he's the best person to be hanging out with right now. Not a great news. Not a great look for Kanye. But we love free speech here. The U.S. Senate Judiciary Committee is reviewing reports alleging that there was yet another leak from the U.S. Supreme Court years before 
the Roe v. Wade case was overturned, head of the committee, Senator Dick Durbin, said on Sunday. The Senate Judiciary Committee is reviewing these serious allegations, Durbin tweeted, adding that it is unacceptable that members of the highest court are exempted from the Judicial Code of Ethics on Saturday U.S. media published an interview with a former anti-abortion activist, Rob Schneck, who said that he learned in advance about the outcome of a 2014... 2014? Is that what we're talking about here? About the 2014 Supreme Court case on contraception, the court ruled that private companies are not required to include birth control in their employees' health plans if it goes against the religious belief of those at the helm of the the corporation. So Senator Dick Durbin is referring to something that happened eight years ago? That's what he wants to look into. Eight years ago. Not this year. Eight years ago. Dick Durbin wants to look into it. As they say, as the young kids say, do you. In international news... Taiwan is a security red line for China, which Washington must never cross Chinese foreign minister Wang Yi has indicated, quoting, in response to recent erroneous words and deeds by the United States on Taiwan on the Taiwan issue and Washington's attempt to draw a line in the Sino-U.S. relations, President Xi Jinping comprehensively and systematically expounded on the origin of the Taiwan issue and China's principled position, clearly pointing out that Taiwan issue is at the center of China's core interests and the core of Sino-U.S. relations. Wang indicated in a foreign ministry statement Sunday summarizing President Xi Jinping's trip to the G20 and APEC summits this week, stressing that Taiwan independence is incompatible with peace and stability across the Taiwan Strait and that the Chinese people will never agree to anyone who wants to separate Taiwan from China. Wang warned that the issue is the political foundation and the main red line that no one can cross. The New York Times has confirmed that videos circulating online of more than 10 Russian prisoners of war getting executed by Ukrainians were filmed in the village of Makiva at the time of its recapture by the Ukrainian forces. By comparing the videos to satellite imagery, the Times confirmed that the videos had been filmed at at a farmhouse in the village. Some of the videos are part of a series of four drone videos circulated on November 12th by a pro-Ukrainian telegram channel reporting the recapture of Makiva. Makiva. The Times verified that the other aerial videos had also recently been filmed in the village, the newspaper said on Sunday in emphasizing that the report in the videos that Russian soldiers can be seen lying dead, positioned as they were when they surrendered. On Thursday, the U.S. Justice Department lawyers at the request of the State Department filed a court document stating that Ben Salam, Ben Salman, Salman qualifies for legal immunity because he was recently appointed as the Prime Minister of Saudi Arabia by his father, King Salman. The U.S. Department 
State Department determines that Saudi Crown Prince and Prince Minister Mohammed bin Salman should be granted immunity in a U.S. lawsuit brought against him by the fiancé of murdered journalist Jamal Khashoggi. According to a letter the State Department recognizes and allows the immunity of Prime Minister Mohammed bin Salman as a sitting head of government of a foreign state. The letter stated asking the Department of Justice to recommend immunity to U.S. district courts. Finland has recorded the highest number of men refusing both compulsory military and civilian service since 2016, according to local media, every male Finnish citizen must carry out military service for a minimum period of six months. Alternately, alternatively, they can also opt for a longer period of non-military civilian service, which lasts for nearly a year, according to Finland's Conscription Act. As of now, Finnish law punishes so-called total objectors who refuse both options with the print with a prison sentence of six months. So who knew Finland has compulsory military and civilian service requirements? As of now, Finnish law totals so-called total objectors who refuse those options. And in more international news, Ukrainian troops subjected the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant to massive artillery shelling, damaging strategic facilities, an advisor to the head of Rosen, Rosina Goetam, a subsidiary, subsidiary of Russian State Nuclear Energy Corporation, Rosatom, told Sputnik on Sunday. Quoting, the Ukrainian military launched a massive strike directly at the station. Twelve rockets were fired. It is known that six of them hit the cooling system of the reactors to hit the dry cast storage of radioactive waste, radioactive waste. The consequences of the shelling cannot be determined yet since the risk of repeated attacks also remains. Renat Karsha said none of the Zaporizhia NPP personnel were injured, according to reports. In more international news, the air operation that Turkey has carried out in northern Syria could be the first step toward a land operation, Turkish media reported earlier. Reports emerged in Kurd Kurdish media that Turkey had once again carried out an air attack against the city of Kobani in northern Syria. Farhad Shami, the head of the media center of the Kurdish-led Syrian Democratic Forces, SDF, said on Twitter late on Saturday that Turkish aircraft were attacking the city of Kobani. Turkish state media news agency reported, citing Defense Ministry, that an air operation against YPG, the military wing of the PKK, or Kurdistan Workers' Party, both designated by Ankara as terrorist organization, that the PKK was carried out in northern Syria and northern Iraq. And on this day in history, 1906, China prohibits the opiate, opium trade. In 1970, General Hafez al-Assad becomes prime minister of Syria following a military coup. And in 1971, Battle of Garibpur, 
Garipur, Indian troops aided by the Mukti Baini, Bahini, Bengali guerrillas defeat the army of Pakistan. And finally, 2017, Robert Mugabe's resignation after 37 years, a whole 37 years in power, is read out in Zimbabwe's parliament during Mugabe's impeachment proceedings. These are your headlines for Monday, November 21st. You are listening to Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik. Mugabe, wow. Um, I haven't thought of that name in a while. A long time. I know, right? It's just hearing the name. It's like, well, George Galloway has a really good um, breakdown of Mugabe because he's a controversial figure, to put it mildly. I think Manila would know more about this than me. Yeah. yeah, you were far into more media than I was at the time. Um, but let's do this. Let's take a break. You guys are listening to Fault Lines. My name is Jamal Thomas, Malik Abdul, Manila Chan. Back in a moment. Fault Lines. Fault Lines. Welcome back to Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik. My name is Jamal Thomas. I'm joined with Manila Chan, Malik Abdul, coming to you live out of our station in Washington, D.C. And there's a speech that Lloyd Austin gave that I am completely and utterly fascinated by. Because if you look into the speech, what you get is a subtle criticism of policy, even though he's going to make this a you know pointed aim at Moscow. Quote, why Ukraine matters, unquote, remarks by Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin at Halifax International Security Forum. And I'm just going to go to the part that I that I am enamored by. Now, look, part of my, me being enamored by this has a lot to do with my own selfish reasonings. And it's because I basically have said some similar things. But he's saying these things, but he's putting this in the context of world order, which is why I want to recount some of this. He says, so today I'd like to talk about four reasons why Ukraine matters to all of us. I suppose he's heard the criticism of why are we spending this much money on this country? Why are we taking the hit economically for this? And I guess this is his way of trying to give an explanation for it. First, Putin's war of choice is a direct threat to European security. Second, Russian aggression is a clear challenge to our NATO allies. Third, Russia's deliberate cruelty is an attack on our shared values. I love that. And on the rule of law. And finally, Russia invasions tears at the rules-based international order that keeps us all I would imagine he's would add in Europe, Japan, secure. Um, so our support for Ukraine self-defense is an investment into our own security and prosperity as well. He says, you know, Putin tried to conquer the largest country in Europe outside of its own. And a member of the U.N. Security Council tried to deny democracy to more than 43 million people. So that's why our recent release national defense strategy calls Russia as an acute threat. All right. If this is true, if this is true then why did you allow yourself to get into this position at all? And this goes to the, the argument that I often make about Joe Biden being the worst president this country has ever had, and more to the point, has undermined U.S. security in the globe, meaning this notion of U.S. power, U.S. Um, um, strength, that stuff has been completely derailed and undermined, and not just from the standpoint of the United States, also from the standpoint of Europe. Meaning, if you're looking at the world and you're coming up with an action to take, you have Russia, who's basically saying, let's negotiate, let's come to security agreements, let's come to some kind of terms of agreements. You guys have been um, backing the government that's been killing ethnic Russian Ukrainians for the last eight years. This needs to come to a head. 
You guys continuously expand NATO. You guys knocked over the government of Ukraine. Let's come to security agreement. Not to mention, ignored the men's agreements altogether with Poroshenko basically arguing or making the point of saying, we did this only to buy us time, meaning we had no real terms of negotiation on this. We did this purely to buy us time. If you are the president of the United States and you're sitting in a room with your advisors, Russia is saying, hey, let's negotiate. The previous president, meaning previous, previous president, meaning Obama, had already come out and made the point of saying Russia has escalatory um, control over the situation in Ukraine because it is beside Ukraine. Well, why did you allow yourself to get into the situation? More importantly, why did you allow Europe to get into the situation? And was there's nobody in the room that was having a conversation saying, hey, you realize that if we go through with this and we continue to push this issue, then there are going to be consequences for not just Ukraine, but also consequences for Europe. Meaning, I get that Lord Alston is making this argument about how Europe has taken a hit, how the U.S. has gone into difficulties, and how we have to fight this through and deal with these difficulties for the measure of Ukraine, but the issue of Ukraine is not really Ukraine. The issue of Ukraine is about NATO and world governance and what this means for the West and everything else. I get that argument. The problem with that argument, though, is if indeed true, you should be able to forecast, at the very least, predict on some level how bad this was going to be, how much it was going to undermine this idea of American power or governance around the planet, and for that matter, how damaging it would be to Europe. One basic point, energy. One basic point, energy. Did any of the eggheads in the room say to themselves, what happens to Europe if they don't get Russian oil or if they don't get Russian gas? And this was something that was known early on, considering that they were saying, shock it all sanctions. We're going to have this economic war. We're going to get this war going. However, we're not going to touch gas and we're not going to touch oil. Why are you not going to touch gas and oil? Because we can't live without it. To make this point that much more clear, Germany, the beating heart of Europe is now talking about blackouts right here. Quote, we have to assume that there will be big blackouts this winter in the winter. President of the German Federal Office of Civil Protection and Disaster Assistance, Ralph Tesler, said in an interview with the Berlin based German newspaper Welt am Sotag, published on Saturday, quote, we have to expect blackouts in the winter. By this, I mean regional and temporary interruptions in the power supply, unquote, Tesla said, adding that power cuts were due to both energy shortages and temporary shutdowns of the entire grid to protect the entire network. Did you not know this? Meaning before you got involved in this economic war, did any of you think to yourselves, if we are going to attack the Russian economy in addition to attack um, or back Ukraine as it kills Russian troops, then maybe Russia is not going to provide us the item, the, um, the, the, the commodity that we need to keep our economies going. Meaning, it would be the weirdest thing in the world for Russia to continue to supply you a resource that allows your economies to keep going, that allows those economies to continue to produce weapons or money in order to give Ukraine to kill Russians. Did any of you sit into a room and think that line of logic before screaming about this economic war? What this puts me in the mind of is a statement that um, Obama made. If you remember, Obama refused to give weapons to Ukraine. Artillery, meaning he refused to give offensive weapons to Ukraine. When Donald Trump comes in, Donald Trump tries to take the same tack. They immediately attack Donald Trump's for this. But if you go back to Obama, Obama's point is, we are not trying to have a third world war in Russia, nor do we want to be blamed for escalation by providing them offensive weapons. There's another comment that Obama made. Never, what was it? Never underestimate the propensity for Joe Biden to F stuff up. It's that part. 
Meaning all of these guys took this ideological position with none of them looking at the real world phenomena of what will happen if we decide to kick this off and, more importantly, refuse to come to some level of security agreement. That's kind of what I'm getting at. Austin could try to point the finger at Moscow all he wants. At the end of the day, all of this could have been resolved. What would have happened if the immense agreements would have been fulfilled? For one, Ukraine wouldn't have lost over 100,000 people. 20% of that territory wouldn't be in the hands of Moscow right now with 300,000 reserves coming into the battlefield to not just stabilize, but to also make additional gains. None of that would be taking place right now. What would have been taking place right now is the world would have been ticking along with some kind of new security agreement that both sides were able to agree on. What I'm getting here is Austin is on some level making a subtle critique of the political space, making a subtle critique of the political space that I got to be honest, that critique should be widened extensively. Think of what happened to Europe right now. Like I said, Germany, the country that is basically the beating heart of Europe will be suffering through blackouts. You go further right here. Here's another one. Germans facing huge energy spike or hike, according to experts. Many households in Germany will take another hit from rising energy bills in January as power and gas suppliers face higher wholesale market prices and soaring energy grid fees. Reuters has reported citing Verivox prices portal, quote, the price level for energy is historically high and reducing the purchase power of households, Verivox energy expert Thornton Stark said in a statement. Now, again, I point out Germany and I'm picking on them just slightly only because they are the industrial powerhouse of Europe. And as go Germany, so goes the rest of Europe. And if Germany is dealing with power blackouts, which is astonishing to think of, but if they are talking about blackouts, they're talking about industries leaving that country, then what does that mean for the rest of Europe? UK forced to reduce eggs, meaning they are now rationing eggs. And look, any of the reports that are coming out of the UK at this point come across as completely and utterly apocalyptic. And at this point, they are basically in a recession. Here's another one. Italian power prices more than triple, more than triple prices for electricity, which is being sold in the Arpines on the free market, have surged 329% six October of last year and topped the UNC rating of the most expensive good and service. International flights followed power tariffs with annual increases in costs equaling 113%. Gas was next in the ranking with prices surging to more than 96% compared to last year. Basic food items have also seen dramatic inflation in Italy with the prices of various vegetable oils, excluding olive oil, soaring 55% year on year. Butter grew by 43%, followed by sugar, which picked up 17%. This is not just Italy. This is not just Germany. This is Europe in general. And if you're stuck with these prices to basic items, butter, oil, um, in the UK, eggs, then what does it mean for your ability to basically function in that country going forward? Meaning, if Germany is going to experience blackouts this winter, what does it mean for next year when there is no recourse for where they're going to be able to get the energy from? They were able to save a, a bit this year, but without Russian oil, gas, potentially coal, what are you going to do to keep yourself warm, or for that matter, to keep yourself cool in the summer? What I'm getting at is this is a political choice. None of this was a military choice. All of this was a political choice, a political choice that never needed to come about. Lloyd Austin could point the finger at Moscow all he wants, but it was the political leaders, especially Biden himself, that was perfectly willing to push this military conflict and, for that matter, push this economic conflict. Mint's agreements 
could have been fulfilled, but they didn't want to fulfill the mints agreements. They wanted to use that time to set up a military thing, meaning instead of having a real deal, they decided to have a military conflict. Um, NATO didn't need to expand. They chose to expand. I'm making the point that one choice after the next was escalatory. And now, after taking escalation for the last 50 years, he's pointing the finger at Moscow as opposed to pointing the finger at his own political leaders that got those countries, including the U.S., into this particular situation where there's no magical door to get out of. And at this point, this notion of saving face doesn't seem to be a part of it. It is a loss economically and for that matter, militarily. You guys are listening to Fault Lines. My name is Jamal Thomas. Been a little chairman of Lick Abdul. Back in a moment. Fault Lines. Fault Lines. Welcome back to Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik. My name is Jamal Thomas. I'm joined with Manila Chan, Malik Abdul, coming to you live out of our station at Washington, D.C. If you guys just so happen to find yourself in the D.C. area, you can catch us on radio at 105.5 FM at 1390 AM. We're also kicking around in Kansas City at 102.9 FM and 104.7 FM. If you guys are digging what Manila and I are putting down, whatever platform you're consuming this content on, give us a like, share that audio or video. If you want to join in on the conversation, you can do so with a chat, a tweet, and of course, you can reach us by phone at 202-521-1320. Your engagement helps make the show what it is. Definitely don't be shot. We'll try to get to your calls at 845 or, for that matter, 945. But I want to bring in our guest. We have the one and only Ted Rawl, political cartoonist. Ted, what's going on, man? How are you doing this morning? I'm good. How are you doing? I am doing great. Better that you are with us. Big Papa has been allowed back on Twitter. Now, Trump is saying that Twitter has all sorts of problems. And he's not coming back on right here. Um, right here. Uh, quote, I don't see any reason for it. They have a lot of problems at Twitter. You see what's going on. I, it may make it, may not make it, unquote, Trump told Republican Jewish coalition during a virtual appearance at their annual leadership meeting. The statement confirms right here, right here. The statement confirms that he said on his Truth Social account, while the poll was active, quote, vote now with positivity, but don't worry, we aren't going anywhere. Truth Social is special. Now, Malika made the point that he doesn't know if Trump is going to keep this. I don't know. Give me your take, Ted. Is Trump coming back? Should he come back? Personally, I was hoping that he would. Give me your take. I don't know if he's coming back or not. And I certainly, whatever his assessment here is, I don't think it, the reasons that he's talking about, like the problems at Twitter, uh, you know, I don't think he really cares about the engineering issues, uh, in the, you know, in the background and the and the absence of of people to uh, run this thing and keep it from crashing. Uh, you know, I think, but I mean, I, he does have a special, he has a you know business relationship and a contract with Truth Social. So obviously, if he were to go to uh, Twitter, uh, return to Twitter, Truth Social would just end. I mean, I've been on Truth Social now for a few, I guess, about a month. And there's just no center of gravity there, as far as I can tell. There's just hardly anyone there. So that brings us to the second part of your question. Obviously, he should come back because, uh, with even despite the fact that uh, you know people have left for other platforms, um, there's still millions of users at Twitter. That's where people are. He's a politician. He needs to get his voice out there and interact with people. So you know, when you're a politician, you just go where the where the voters are and they're still on Twitter. Yeah, I guess they are. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that Trump, well, I can't imagine during an election year that Trump, well, 
the election cycle leading up to 2024 that Trump won't be tempted to get on yes, Truth Social. Yes, yes. Um, I think we've seen... Wait, on ve- Truth or on you Twitter? Mean truth or Twitter? Sorry, on Twitter. Yeah. Um, we've seen this alternative platform kind of play out over the years. Remember Parlor? Mm-hmm. Where's Parlor? You know, yeah. I'm still on that one. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't I mean, use it. Yes, yeah. which is still there. You're floating about. But none of these met the promise. So yeah. Parlor, Truth Social... You know, none of them what? met the promise of an alternative. But well, they always to, say, if you don't like it, go build your own. But and, old, and, old and Trump die did. hard. Yeah, yeah. And Trump did, and and it's kind of like a Twitter is a monopoly. Um, it's like you 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 like the old cable companies. Yeah, it is. It it's, took forever for streaming you to can't become a get thing. Around yeah. it, you benefit from it, and especially it's a little different since Trump has been out of office. But if you're talking about running a political campaign, like I don't have a truth social account. I'm not going to create one. I think I tried once and it was, it was like difficult. You, I felt you like you had to. It was like a wait or yeah. something. It was some ridiculous thing I couldn't remember. But I just don't imagine Trump staying off totally. Um, believe it or not, it was actually a person who tweeted from Trump, even those crazy tweets. But I will say this, Ted. One thing that I was actually, I won't say surprised about, what I will say is that I didn't see it. Um, so I don't know if you've actually, Ted, or any, if you've taken a look at Trump's, the last tweets that he made around January 6th, where he's talking about, you know, peace and all that. I, I didn't get any context from any of that when I was, like, during the hearings. Um, yes, he was irresponsible, but it was, I felt a little, I was like, but gee, he's on Twitter saying, even though it was late, yeah. but he's on Twitter saying peace, you know, and all of this. And so I just didn't feel the same Not way. Not as full-throated, I think, right. as yeah. what the left <laughs> wanted. Yeah, it wasn't full-throated, but I don't have, like, I didn't, the, the sense of responsibility and gloom and doom that he was leading him to the riot, I didn't get that from his Twitter. Yeah. We heard about Oh, it. interesting. I but see. see I, think, interesting. I think because we're going into the election cycle. Yeah. I mean, there is no reach that's better than Twitter. Agreed. And whether or not he pays the eight dollars, it's other. <laughs> it's otherwise. I he got rid of that. Did he? I keep don't that? know. Otherwise, it's a free platform, right? Yeah. For you to to have that amount of reach. Whereas in the old days, like when I was in college, I mean, you're you're like, okay, you can go to college and learn to be a PR person. You would need an army of PR people. Yeah. To have the type of reach that your that your damn cell phone has now to blast a message to. Everybody, anybody, 24 hours a day, there is no better, especially free method of reach. So I think this is going to be more of like a waiting game. It's a matter of time, like Malik says. This would be like waving crack in front of Hunter Biden. (laughs) (laughs) Ted, give me a take. Uh, I look, I agree with everything you guys are saying. Uh, You know, as to Malik's point about the, the, the the late Twitters, late tweets, I, I did look at them at the time, and I went back and looked at them too. Uh, you know, it, his entire conduct during up to and uh, certainly during and after January 6th was sort of all about plausible deniability while still sort of saying, will no one rid us of this meddlesome election result? You know, um, he, he definitely, you know, it was very clear, wink, wink. I would love this to go away, but I'm not going to ask, you know, it's kind of like the kid long, you know, sort of staring longingly at the really cool bike in the window, but not really asking his parent for it. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, it, it, it was clear to everybody what he wanted, but he didn't come out and say it. You know, I mean, 
look, people make uh, Nazi allegories to to, uh, Trump all the time, and I hate to do it here, but, you know, there's literally never been a record that surfaced that showed that Hitler ordered the Holocaust. I mean, he did, but there's no record. You know what I mean? Like, there's nothing in writing, because uh, there's always an effort to insulate the leader from things that could get him in trouble if they go badly. Uh, And, you know, we've American presidents have had that. Uh, that's sort of exactly, you know, and, and I think that's that's sort of where Trump was coming from. Yeah, even with CIA. Yeah, I guess one of the things when I'm looking at, it, because Trump was impeached over this, and let's say, you know, years down the road, looking back in history, we take a look, because Trump's tweets were a subject of his impeachment yeah. and the subsequent January 6th investigations. Yeah. Looking back in history, 10 years from now, Will people be able to look at Trump's tweets on that day, because they're there for all to see, to be able to say a president was impeached over that? So I get to, to, it's a very valid point. He got close to the line without going over the line, but he didn't go over the line and he was impeached. So I'm I'm talking about this within the context of we impeached a president over what we think he meant. Of tweets, yeah. No, it wasn't just well, tweets. Well, you can, though. You can totally impeach, you can impeach a president because oh, he wears anything. ugly yeah. ugly ties or Yeah, or Congress, Congress it's a, has it's a political. Mm-hmm. It's a political process, completely political. Not It, it has the, tr- the veneer of a legalistic process, but it's... It could be anything. Yeah, could be and anything. that's why I think that, I don't, I don't know if they'll ultimately do it. So this very thin... Um, justification, then what would stop Republicans from doing the oh, same for Biden? thing? Yeah. Uh, you, well, I would hope Bill Clinton, being honest. <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean, right? Bill Clinton left with, what, a 70% approval rating? Yeah. And they basically impeached the guy for an affair? Yeah. For all intents and purposes. And uh, the, the, I thought they pointed out that he, he lied to well, Congress. He, he, well, he, he lied. was impeached because of the lie right. that he lied before a congressional... He did, but the American public looking at that thought to themselves, they impeached this guy over an affair. Right. If, yeah. I mean, that was my memory of it. And he left. Bill Clinton leaves as a rock star. I remember, do you remember when Al Gore comes out to give his, um, when Al Gore is he basically. campaign with him. Well, but, right. But Bill Clinton, when he came out for the Democratic National Committee um, speech, they showed as if he's a rock star. Like he's mm-hmm. coming out from his dressing room and the camera's following him. He's like shaking hands and everything <laughs> else. People were and, rallying and, around. Yeah, they were. And it's like Al Gore, like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm uncomfortable with this. That guy is 70% approval rating as a direct result of the public saying Republicans jumped the shark. It was that part. Can you My, imagine now, though, with that, with Bill, because even with the, you know, not going back to Monica Lewinsky, yeah. but we're in a different time now, and I'm not convinced that people would be as... You don't think they punished Republicans like, for it in yeah, the way they did back then? People were like, oh, you know, we kind of shrug. He, you know, Monica Lewinsky, <laughs> she was just 21 years old, but she was pursuing the president of the United States. You know, I, don't get the, I don't get it that way. No, I'm saying that's what we were saying back yeah, then, because right. many people attacked Monica Lewinsky. Yes, they there did. There was no... Yes, they did. This is an intern. This is a 21-year-old with the most powerful person in yes. the world, the power dynamic. That wasn't the discussion then, yeah. which is how Clinton they ended up getting... Her. Yes, they did. Yeah, which is how Clinton getting... You know, he ended up getting such a uh, large amount of support. And it wasn't just Democrats. Right. You know, there were even Republicans who were like, eh. I'm uncomfortable with this. Well, yeah. they had really good spin back back then because right. they could control the narrative. Yes. Mm-hmm. The problem here with Twitter is that it's all out there That's in the right. wild. All over the it's place. It's the jungle of of conversation. So you cannot control the narrative anymore. And that's, I think, where the, the problem 
lie, you know, therein lies the problem, yeah. right? Is that nobody can control it mm-hmm. and nobody could control Trump. So that was the problem. Well, the, the, I'm, so one part of me on Trump being back on Twitter, I'll say this one part of me, which is the selfish part. The selfish part says, no, stay off because I won't have to answer for it. Republicans Republicans won't have to answer for it because obviously that's what's going to happen. If Trump gets back on Twitter, the media will start every time he says something. It doesn't matter if it's offensive, even if it's just silly. Yeah. You know, nothing offensive. We're going to. So that part of me says, I do not look forward. It's going to force you to talk about it every morning. Um, Malik? Donald Trump said this on Twitter. Yes. You have a commentary. And that literally will be the discussion. So I don't look forward to that. Yeah, yeah but, but Ted, Ted's going to have all kinds of new cartoons to draw. I know, right? <laughs> Ted, this oh, is great for you. Business. So Trump, is, Trump is a business. And despite what people say, now I will say this, and I, and I said it when I was reading the headline, I don't like the idea of Elon Musk doing a poll to see who gets back on Twitter. <gasps> Agreed. I don't right. like that at all. Agreed. I don't you think do that's or you way. don't, yeah. period. Everybody's yeah. back yeah. on or they're not. Yeah. Right, Ted? I also I also don't agree with Elon Musk. The idea that he was supposed to have like an independent uh, board yeah, of arbiters. Yeah, what to that? <laughs> um, the, I mean, I, I didn't like the idea. I mean, I don't like that he that he decided to go around it. But I also don't didn't like the original idea in the first place. Right. Because it's sort of like Facebook has one of those. Right. And, you know, basically, the, you know, the, the choice of the committee members determines the outcome. So, you know, they just handpick the members that they want to get the outcome that they want. If, uh, you know, look, Musk is the dictator of Twitter and so be it, you know, I mean, he, he, he borrowed the money for it. He, he broke it, um, you know, and now let him run it. Um, you know, and I, I actually agree with the free, the free speech absolutism. Um, you know, I think pretty much everything should just be on there, non-weighted by algorithms, um, and, and just let the people decide. Uh, that's what, that's what free expression is all about. But, but Ted, the, (laughs) So as much as Elon is going with, you know, Trump is back on, you know, hashtag Ye- Vox, is pop- back too. Vox Populi, <laughs> right? Vox Populi is the line that he's running with, right? It's like the people have spoken. This is the popular yep. voice. Okay, by a slim margin, fine. I agree with you too that there there should be no stupid board. You're either an ab- absolute means absolute, yeah. right? Unless we're talking about the vodka, this is like <laughs> absolute means absolute. So either you're with it or you're not. But the problem here is he's picking and choosing, you know, who's a big enough name that deserves, quote, deserves to be let back on. And he's just not, he's not doing the very thing that he says that he, he claims to be behind, which is speech absolutism. That's just not, tr- it's just not true. What do you think is behind that? And, and on top of it, you have other, you know, like CBS, they said, we're getting off the platform now because Trump was... Well, they that, came back. Then. That they came back. Yeah, right. hours. They came back. So <laughs> you have the people on the other side of this as well, Ted, saying, oh, we're getting off, just like they're moving to Canada when Donald Trump That's right. won. <laughs> That's um, right. But they're still, you know, 48 hours. This is this is Hunter Biden and crack, right? This is He's back on. They're back <laughs> on. They are back I'm on. Give it up crack forever. That's true. And it's yeah. like, this. they're crack addicts. They cannot help themselves. So... Should the people that are complaining, that are complaining, oh, some voices should be silenced. I mean, this is a pretty simple concept. Follow the voices you want to read, you know, or hear, and ignore the others. Why have an algorithm decide for everybody? Twitter, I mean, you know, unfortunately, he's a little short-staffed right now, but he should assign someone 
uh, you know, I, I hear there's there's lots of software engineers who are unemployed these days, uh, many of them by Twitter. Um, you know, he should probably hire some back to just basically clear, you know, bring restore everyone who, you know, wasn't, you know, dismissed for some crazy reason like being a, being a neo-Nazi and just put everyone back. Um, and that's just the easiest solution here. But, you know, look, the thing that's gone that's gone wrong at, at, at Twitter is that Musk clearly is an erratic personality, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it, it, he's, he just can't decide what he wants. Uh, you know, I need everybody to, uh, you know, sign this pledge by five o'clock uh, or you're gone. You have to be at my office by two, except I might be, not be there until tomorrow morning. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, I'll fly you. Uh, well, no, I can't fly you. You know, I mean, it's just like, he's all over the place. And, uh, you know, that's just, uh, you know, that's just not a way to run any kind of business. And I think these decisions about, um, you know, monitoring who gets on and who gets back on, who who stays off, it's all part and parcel of the same thing. You know, the Trump thing was something that he had talked about. He knows people are paying attention. Musk is a showman like Trump. And therefore, what he's trying to do is get attention for Twitter. Probably getting attention for Twitter right now is not a good idea because it would bring more traffic than the than the web arch- than the architecture for, for the platform can sustain. Yeah, I mean, considering all of the absences and vacancies that they've been having at these various companies, and that's a really good point. He's erratic. I mean, he puts you in the mind of a similar personality as Trump. Dude, dude is racing Nick Cannon for most children. Let me just say, <laughs> you mean Elon Musk? Yes. How many kids does Musk have? Like eleven or twelve? Whoa. Yeah. yeah, I didn't know he had that Nick many. Nick Cannon just—we just talked about it—is on number twelve. Nick Cannon is on his twelfth, eleventh and twelfth at the same time. That is literally They're a football team, right? How many people are on the football got team? Like eleven. That used to not be that unusual, right? I mean, when I was a kid, uh, you know, I'm almost <laughs> sixty. In elementary school, there were lots of big Catholic families that had like twelve or thirteen kids. It was not well, at all that's unusual. True. And, that's true. I mean, my grandmother—what she had eight. Her grandmother before her had like twelve or fifteen or something like that. The but, difference is they probably were the same. The same mom. Yeah. Mother. Yeah. And by but the way, they, they needed those kids at the time. I mean, right. you needed people to run the farm. Or, right. Well, I don't know because if you listen to Joe Biden, oh no, no, um, Schumer was uh-huh. it Schumer. <laughs> Chuck Schumer, who was talking about, essentially, he was seemed to be arguing the replacement theory uh-huh. when he was talking. Oh, my goodness, you didn't hear this story. Uh-uh. So Chuck Schumer was making this point about the birth rate in America and how immigrants, um, how we need immigrants, we need to, replace immigrants to replace people. Oh, right, because yeah. for the lowered birth rate. Oh, right. I mean, that was the same argument in Germany, right? That Angela Merkel was making that the people from Syria is going to be able to um, make Westerners up. are making less babies. Exactly. Westerners are making less babies. We have less people to basically That's fulfill okay. the we areas of the population. Musk babies and cannon babies. <laughs> right. I know. <laughs> I know. Right. Just keep pushing about. By the way, speaking of um, these world leaders, octogenarian president Joe Biden birthday today. Oh, today's oh, his wow. birthday. Was it today or yesterday? But. Birthday. Yeah, I knew he was a November baby. I just didn't oh, yeah, remember. So I think it was right. yesterday. So but it was yesterday. Wrong. Okay, yeah. Making him the first octogenarian in He's the, the Oval Office. Yes. Oh, that's oh, by far. Reagan was By oh, far. Really? I mean, right, right, right. Ronald Reagan was 77 when he left office. Right. Oh. And, and it feels, because he had Alzheimer's, it feels like he was ancient. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, like, when you think Who, back Reagan? to Ronald Reagan. Yeah. It feels yeah. like he was, like. Well, he was on the mental decline. and Right. On his, yeah. on his way out. On his way out. So what does it mean that the man is 80 years old in office? I mean, does it mean anything other well, than... It, yeah, I mean, it doesn't seem to mean anything. Well, it does. It's... It means a lot. I mean, if you, look at, like, the, if you look at like the early 80s, right, when the Soviet Union was tottering on the edge of collapse, one of the things that Kremlinologists looked at was the age of the premiers. Look how old they are. I went back recently and looked at how old uh, guys like uh, Andropov and Chernenko were. 
they weren't that old at all. They were like 72 and like 74 when they died. And, you know, we have like Pelosi, 82, uh-huh. uh, you know, uh, you know, Biden, 80, uh, Bernie Sanders, he's sharp, but 80, um, you know, Diane I mean, Feinstein's like 88 or something. She's yeah, like, by Diane she, Feinstein I have to be honest. I have no idea why she is still in office because they want her family hates her. <laughs> they won't give. I'll go with that. They won't. They won't. Well, obviously, it's her decision, ultimately. Yeah, but when but she's she out of her mind. she can't make. Yeah, she, she can't, can't make it. No, she's not there. I mean, I've seen her. I saw her give a speech. This was maybe a year ago. And I'm like, Diane? why is that woman here? Diane? Speech is too strong. But they basically rolled her up there and she was spacey and out of and her that's mind. that's why you never and see her. Yeah. You it's never an see embarrassment. Her. I mean, of course it matters. I mean, like, look, it's, it's not a good, I'm not, you know, I don't think that we should have like a mandatory retirement age. Uh, for politicians or anything like that, and but it, and I don't think we should have like uh, you know don't trust anyone over thirty kind term, of term wild limits, the kind of vibe. <laughs> Make it simple, term limits. And and you know as a guy who's going to hopefully be old one day, I, I hope they don't just push me out to pasture. But I also think most people who are eighty and sharp would say that the presidency of the United States is a job that is too hard for an eighty-year-old, just physically taxing. Uh, you know, it's just too, it's too much work. Now, can an 80 year old do any number of other jobs? Sure. Uh, you know, there's a lot of eight, there's, there's a woman from my hometown who, uh, you know, wrote a best-selling book in her eighties, her first book ever, uh, you know, called the children, uh, the ladies of the club. But, you know, you could, you could be an author, you could be a painter, you, but like, for example, could you be a high school teacher when you're 80 and be effective? I think it'd be hard. And the presidency is a lot harder than that. Agreed, so, right. Uh, agree with and, that. and Biden's clearly not up to it because, you know, how many press conferences does this guy hold? How many how many primetime speeches? I mean, he literally seems to be sundowning. He's much sharper in the morning than he is in the evening. Have you guys noticed that? Oh, yeah, <laughs> I wow. have. you're right. I mean, I think the thing is, it's diminishing returns, right? It's right. not so much that you can't have an ADO to do the job. It's just if you take a list of, let's say, 1,070 euros, 70, 60 euros, 1,050 euros, I would, I would imagine you get a less number of 80 euros that can basically do the and job. Biden looks 80, though. He does. Mean, he, he, <laughs> and, you know, not to be ageist, but he seems like an Nancy old... Nancy looks better. Yes, she does. She does. Yeah, so well, she's a lot of functional. Say about Nancy she has Pelosi. better plastic surgery. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. But uh, even in Trump's true. case, yeah. and I will say How about Trump, Trump, by the way? Trump is 74. Oh, yeah. sorry. Is that young? 74 Mid-70s, or something like that. Mid-70s. Because okay. he didn't look like he was damaged by the presidency. Yes, and no. That's, actually, I think that's the point I was getting ready to make. Yeah. Normally, we see presidents in office, we see them age. I like remember Obama. seeing He's Barack like Obama, where yeah. you, he, by the end of his Barack Obama's two terms, he had the gray hair, yes. you could, the kind of the bags wrinkles. under his eyes. Yes, he did. Trump didn't age. Didn't age at all. Suspended animation. And so. I don't know if because he doesn't drink, he doesn't smoke. That's true. He eats his steak eats with ketchup. Junk. Well done. But, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Clean living. Oh, boy. But no, he literally didn't. Trump didn't look, age. So uh-uh. it'll be interesting but to see on. a Joe Biden and a Donald Trump this time if, around. If we have an age minimum to become president, which is 35. Right. Right. She would and have an age must, limit. And you must be born here. If you uh-huh. have an age minimum, should, why can't there be an age maximum? Because the people in Congress are the same age and they're not going to vote gonna for vote, it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and Ted, get into that for me. The bench for Democrats. 
I mean, nobody, nobody. No I mean, bad. what's his name? No the, the people around Nancy Pelosi are 82 themselves. Right, I, I can't think of the name. Too. Right, the one who it's South Clyburn Carolina, Clyburn, and, and there's one more. Mm-hmm. There's one more. There's one more. Um, I can't um, think of his name. Steny Hoyer. Steny Hoyer. They're like the, the one, two, and three. Yeah, but they're getting, but they're moving aside. Well, Jim, notably, Jim Clyburn. He didn't make an announcement that he was stepping aside. Clyburn ain't going nowhere. Right. Uh, <laughs> Pelosi and um, Hoyer. Yeah. Did say Clyburn that is like, re- I've waited all of this time. You guys make it a spot for me. I ain't going nowhere. Ted, what, talk about Who is talk the about number this, two. Talk about the bench, because I don't see anybody. No, there's 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 no bench at all. I mean, you know, people say we're talking about people like Sherrod Brown, and everyone listening to me is going to be like, who? Who? Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, who is um, that? He's got, he's got a funny he, voice. Ohio or something. Yeah, I, mean, Ohio. I mean, Gavin Gavin Newsom, governor. No. You know, he has the hair, and he's no. governor That's Manila's of the biggest, favorite person, most populous state. But Big he just doesn't doesn't have it and not to mention it's like all the republicans have to do is like run video of homeless encampments in la and san francisco the end um so it's just you know no there's no there's no bench at all and you know obama you know was was really blamed for not helping to develop uh, a backbench for the democratic party and i think now it's you know that chicken is coming has come home to roost i mean i i really think they're stuck with kamala i really i've said the hold same on. thing Ted. No, no no hold on put hold her on. on the supreme court i'm gonna bench. put i'm gonna put a deep 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 dark horse in here for you guys so the mayor's race in los angeles yeah karen bass finally done karen bass the longtime congress lady she wins. Mm-hmm. Rick Caruso, the billionaire, the billionaire. De- developer, put in like, I don't know, like $180 million of his <sighs> own money, right, to lose to Karen Bass. However, he's been a lifelong, and we know this, this is like L.A. inside politics. Yeah. He's been a lifelong Republican, flips to Democrat to run, right? He loses. What if billionaire Rick Caruso, even though we know in his heart he's a Republican, runs on the Democrat ticket because he's got the money to do it. Bloomberg did it. Mike Bloomberg spent a billion dollars in the primary <laughs> to get humiliated. And, and we know he's a Democrat in, in, in his heart. Hell, Donald Trump was a Democrat in his heart. Yes, he was. Right? Uh, the Democratic Party base, uh, you know, progressives, people like me, I'm going to be all over the editorial page of the Wall Street Journal yelling if something like that happens. Uh, you know, I, I think the nominee of the party should never be a former Republican. It should, you know, there's plenty of people who are Democrats their entire lives. Pick one of them. Well, I think Manila's point is he has the money. And he can he can theoretically win because of the money. Yeah. And it'll can be... he win... Well, let him start a third state. party then, like Perot. That's what we really well, need. That's, that's true. I, right, right there. Is there's that a part? lot of third parties. Well, what about running as a third party candidate? I mean, Ross Perot did it. And he was able to do it with all the money. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just, that may help of Donald vote. Trump. Yeah, well, that's true. That's, that's true. the behemoth. Like, can you overcome the behemoth that is Donald Trump? I say billionaire versus billionaire, battle of the billionaires. <laughs> no, Donald Trump is, is it's still his to lose. And I don't care how much the media tries to tee up Ron DeSantis. Uh, you know, it's, it's his to lose. Um, you know, I don't even know what he can do to mess it up at this point. I will bring in a dark horse candidate, Hillary Clinton. <laughs> now, oh, no. all of you laugh at me for this, but there's a glimmer in me that believes that that woman is still. They need to call me in. They need to call me. In. He like oh, just she wish, wants it. Yeah, it's like just just ask She's me. Just put by a, the phone a sure. whisper in the sky, and she will. Because I mean, at this point, who else is there? 
Like none of us can come up with another person. No. Hillary Clinton is still, I would say, viable. She still thinks it's her turn. You're gonna have all of I those mean, women. Hakeem that, Jeffries, who's she likely, would be the she would be the Williams Jennings Bryan of the of the twenty of the twenty first century, right? He well, he ran three times and got and got destroyed each Aww. time. <laughs> you think she can destroy it? Oh, I don't know. There's I don't know. Literally, I mean, Ted's right. There's literally nobody, nobody, nobody. If yeah. you put up Hakeem Jeffries, you try to bring him to ascend him up there, he can't win nationally. You what, can't. Yeah. yeah. Like, what nobody. benefited Democrats in the race against um, 2020, you know, whether you like Kamala Harris or not, this is a bed that Democrats have now made. Yeah. And so I've consistently said, I agree with Ted. I don't know how you get around Kamala Harris. I don't know how you explain that. I don't just know how you. Just because she's next in line? Just yeah. Well, that's yeah. it. Just I mean, like, that's... It's, look, it's 1996 for the Republicans. It was Bob Dole's Bob turn. Dole, Bob yeah. Dole. He was he was gonna lose. They they were like, this is just how it goes this time. Dole Kemp, Dole Kemp in '96, and they ended or, up. Or 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 Davis in 1924 against against Coolidge. Coolidge was incredibly popular. He was incumbent, uh, presiding over a great economy, uh, you know, and, and the Democrats knew that Davis didn't stand a chance. He was also the first Southern nominee of a major political party uh, since the Civil War. And people were still, you know, just like, why should we let a Southerner be president? So they knew he was going to lose. I collect political ephemera. And Davis buttons are incredibly expensive and rare because the Democratic Party didn't even bother to print any because they knew they were going to lose. Don't even spend the money. <laughs> Don't even Don't worry even about worry spending about the it. money. <laughs> Ted, man, always appreciate you, man. Ted Rawl is a political cartoonist and syndicated columnist. You can follow Ted on Twitter at Ted Rawl and read his cartoons and articles at Rawl.com. Rumble Room says, put up Fetterman. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Fetterman for president. Fetterman, Fetterman for president. I just don't see it. Oh, man, Kamala. I, I like ovals. I like off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, um, these are great. These are great things. Um, you guys are listening to Fault Lines. My name is Jamal Thomas, Manila Chan, Malik Abdul. Terrible. We will be back in a moment. Terrible humans. That is bad. <laughs> Better put up Fetterman. Fault Lines. Fault Lines. Live from the divided states of America, precipitously perched at the edge of this resilient and exploited globe. Welcome to your context lens for the American perspective. In the left corner, I'm your ever vigilant, your indefatigable political analyst, Jamal Thomas. And somewhere in the center, the vixen of Veritas, the thriller in Manila, Chan. And I'm winging it here, Malik Abdul, the do-rag conservative, and you are listening to Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik. I like it. that. I like much it. better. I like yeah, it. Much, We're much better. Getting the flow. I suppose it's like Malik. I'm the rag left. It's like all right. This is miserable. Are you leaving out Atomic Maga now because Trump I'm is gonna back vacillate. on Twitter? I'm going to go back and forth. I, I, I like be honest, Durag conservative. I'm going to really love good. Donald Trump going back on Twitter. I want and I turn to Malik every morning. So Malik, Donald Trump said this, and I'll just Eddie and in international news. Right. <laughs> it's like, Trump is saying that the FBI agents kept his wife underwear. Do you have any commentary? There's home it. video camera right. footage <laughs> of the FBI sniffing it. 
just live the other way. Um, Malik, do you have any commentary? Every morning it's going to be that way. I, I'm praying that yes. everybody's yeah. looking I, forward to that. Praying that for they it. They want. Do they want Trump back on Twitter? They want the spectacle. It's things. chum in the water. It is. It and, really is. And for him, it has to be like Hunter Biden crack. Like yes. you're waving it in front of him. He's just, you put it down. You're, I'm going to leave you alone in this room. And, and by the way, with you this crack and this pipe. Right. I'll be right back in five minutes. Right? <laughs> oh, that's so wrong. Don't touch it. Imagine people, as they did, they retweet something that Trump says and it goes viral uh-huh. because it's the nastiest thing right. that they could say in response to But you know what? Uh-huh. Every, every media that. outlet will cover it. That's yes. the thing. This yes, is the cheapest, most the most reach you will get from any, like, you. it's better than employing an army of PR people it's, that will not be yeah. this effective. Agreed. It's the laziest reporting you could do from media standpoint. Yes. And it's the easiest publicity you can get from Trump's standpoint. And you know, and then, and the whole media cycle benefits, right? Yeah. CNN will go hog wild on this. Look at what They'll finally get said. the viewers back, yeah. right? MSNBC, same thing. This whole, like, it, this whole industry, mm-hmm. right? This political TV news industry feeds off of Trump. He is the meat. And by the way, he knows that. Of course. Like, if it was me... And Twitter was like, okay, we're going to let Trump back on. I'd be sitting there. Ah, I knew you'd want me back. No. No. It's like Rorschach when he's um, on Watchmen. And he was like, how do you say it? Um, He says all of the, the, what do you you say? He said they would cry out for help, but I would whisper no. It's that part where Trump is like, yeah, I know you guys want me back. No. That's, you know, that's what Joe Biden did. So petty. (laughs) Did you see the clip at the G20 with Biden when when the the missile hit Poland? Uh Uh-uh. Oh, yes, I did see that. He called, literally, the press pool to come in. Yeah. And they get settled down. They're like, okay, okay, let's begin. Okay, question. Mr. President, do you know blah, 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 blah. Okay, everyone simmers down. They wait his answer. No. No. They ask him directly. Okay, all done. Everybody out of the room. Oh, he got, he sent them out it immediately was, after that? That was the end of the freaking press conference. Because all of those people came in, and they explicitly asked him, Mr. President, we heard there was a missile strike in Poland. Are you going to give us any clues about it? He said no. He just literally waited a second, mustered up some wind in his in his chest, and said no. <laughs> So that was the beginning and the end of it. Yes, I didn't realize that was the beginning and the end. Then his, then his media team. Are you serious? Then his media team was like, "All right, everybody. All right, thank you for coming. Thank you. Okay," and just ushers everyone out, and he just sits there blankly staring. And Trudeau's kind of like looking at him, like, "I did not know that that was the beginning and the end of that. I assume it was just the press conference. That was it. That was it. It was like the a ten second, like short shortest press conference ever in the world." Mr. President, this is going to be the end of the world. Get those people out here. <laughs> Look at them. That's amazing. Know. I didn't realize that was the beginning and end of that, that press it. conference. That was the clip. Wow. So, yeah, if anybody's just saying no to stuff, I guess that's like the short answer for wow. everybody. It's just no. no. Trump, you coming back on? No. Just, yeah, every, I don't know. I can imagine no him answer. telling people, I knew they'd want me back. I knew they'd want me back. Let's but, go to the headlines. Yeah, let's in the news. Headlines. Ex-U.S. President Trump confirmed on Sunday speaking of what we were basically talking about um, on Sunday that he will not return to Twitter now that the account has been reactivated. Quote, I don't see any reason for it. They have a lot of problems at Twitter. You see what's going on. It may make it 
It may not, unquote. Trump told the Republican Jewish Coalition during a virtual appearance at their annual leadership meeting. The statement confirms what he said on his Truth Social account while the poll was active. Quote, vote now with positivity, but don't worry. We aren't going anywhere. Trump social is special. Unquote. I love that. Vote now with positivity. But we ain't going nowhere. Just make me feel good and show that the number of people that can vote for me to get me back on that network. That's great. U.S. rapper Yee. Yay. Yay, thank you. Formerly known as Kanye West. Oh, Kanye, right, yeah. Kanye West has announced that he will join the race for U.S. president in 2024. God. <laughs> in a video interview with the U.S. tabloid during a visit to one of Ye's out years, the cameraman asked him if he was going to run for the president, and the rapper replied with a simple, yes. The video tour amply showcased merch for... for yeah, no. I was thinking yes. the same thing. No or yes. <laughs> I love that. That's where we are now. Are you going to do this? Yes or no? Um, this is Milo... Uh, what is this? Yiannopoulos. Yeah. A U.S. media personality famous for his far-right opinions right here working on the campaign. Yay said. Why? Why are we covering no. this? Why are we covering this? Kanye West says anything. Why are we covering that? The U.S. Senate Judiciary Committee is reviewing the reports, alleging that there was another leak from the U.S. Supreme Court years before Roe v. Wade case was overturned. Head of the committee, Senator Dick Durbin, the dirtiest name in Congress, said on Sunday, quote, the Senate Judiciary Committee is reviewing these serious allegations, unquote. Durbin tweeted, adding that, quote, it is unacceptable that members of the highest court are exempted from the judicial code of ethics, unquote. On Saturday, U.S. media published an interview with a former anti-abortion activist, Rob Shaneck, who said he learned in advance about the outcome of the 2014 Supreme Court case on contraception. The court ruled the private companies are not required to include birth control in their employees' health plans if it goes against the religious belief of those at the helm of the corporation. Interesting. Let's keep going. In international news, Taiwan is a security red line for China, which Washington must never cross. Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Li, Wang Yi, said, has indicated, quote, in response to recent erroneous words and deeds from the United States on Taiwan issue and Washington's attempt to draw a line in the Sino-U.S. relations, President Xi Jinping comprehensively and systematically expounded on the origin of the Taiwan issue and China's principal position, clearly pointing out that Taiwan issue is at the center of Chinese core interests and the core of Sino-U.S. relations, unquote. Wang indicated in a foreign ministry statement on Sunday, summarizing <clears throat> President Xi Jinping's trip to the G20 and APEC, APEC, summits this week, stressing that, quote, Taiwan independence is incompatible with peace and stability across the Taiwan Strait, unquote, and that, quote, the Chinese people will never agree to anyone who wants to separate Taiwan from China, unquote, Wang warned, that the issue is, quote, political foundation and main red line that no one can cross, unquote. He is stating those red lines clearly and completely. Will we listen? Doesn't seem like it. The New York Times has confirmed that videos circulating online of more than 10 Russian prisoners of war getting executed by Ukrainians were filmed in the village of Mekiva or Mekeva at the time of the recapture of the, by the Ukrainian forces. Quote, by comparing the videos to satellite imagery, the Times confirmed that the videos have been filmed at the farmhouse in the village. Some of the videos are part of a series of four drone videos circulated on November 12th by pro-Ukrainian Telegram channel reporting the recapture of Mekieva. The Times verified the other aerial videos are also recently been filmed in the village, unquote the newspaper said on Sunday. It was emphasized in the report that in the videos, the Russian soldiers can be seen lying dead, positioned 
as they were when they surrendered. That is grotesque. Will this story just immediately be swept under the rug and ignored? Or is there going to be some investigation on this? I would be shocked if there's an investigation, but we'll see. The UN apparently said they're investigating, but we'll see. On Thursday, the U.S. Justice Department lawyers, at the request of the State Department, filed a court document stating that Ben Salman qualifies for legal immunity because he was recently appointed as the Prime Minister of Saudi Arabia by his father, the guy Biden talked to when he first got in office when he was basically trying to, um, uh, to, to, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Basically to make a pariah. Um, Ben Salman, basically King Salman. The U.S. State Department determines that Saudi Crown Prince and Prime Minister Mohammed bin Salman should be granted immunity in a U.S. lawsuit brought against him by the fiancé of murdered journalist Jamal Khashoggi, according to the letter. Quote, the State Department recognizes and allows the immunity of Prime Minister Mohammed bin Salman as sitting head of the government of a foreign state, unquote, the letter stated, asking the Department of Justice to recommend immunity to the U.S. District Court. Man, that has to be an embarrassing letter to write. And I know Joe Biden himself didn't necessarily write that letter. But the moment that you get into the country saying you're going to make the guy a pariah, you go talk to his dad. And your reasoning isn't necessarily wrong. I mean, they had um, Jamal Khashoggi deboned. I mean, they cut the guy up in an embassy, in a Turkish embassy, in a Saudi embassy in, in Turkey. Is it like a saw chain? Well, of- a bunch of guys, a bunch of goons jump into the country, one of them carrying a bone saw. And his wife, Jamal Khashoggi goes there because he wants a wedding certificate. Basically, he wants to get married. And so he goes to the embassy, tells his wife, if anything happens, contact this particular person. He knows his life is in danger, and yet he goes anyway for love. He goes for love. That story is fascinating to me because of that part. And he goes in to the place where danger clearly awaits him. She waits outside. And after a while, they're like, we have no idea who you're waiting here for. My um, boo that I'm trying to get married to, Hey, we have no idea what you're talking about. Uh, Erdogan immediately is screaming to the hill. They killed him. They killed him. They killed him. They murdered the guy. And immediately they're like, well, how do you know? Well, of course, we had our, the embassy bug. It's in, it's in Turkey. And so at this point, it becomes out where it becomes very clear that Erdogan knows what happened. Apparently, there was audio or video for that matter. And it was clear that they had the guy both. They had the guy tortured and cut up. Um, Saudi Arabia is like, we have no idea what you guys are talking about. At this point, we were traveling around the world at this time, and it was on every media, every country we jumped into. That was the top line story. And so when Biden comes in, well, of course, Trump looked at this guy and said, how much does Saudi Arabia invest in this country? Biden's thing is, we're going to make him a pariah. I'm not going to have anything to do with him. I'm not going to shake his hand so they get the fist bump. You get all that part. I'm going to talk to his dad. That stuff came up. And so now, how weird is it that Biden is like, water under the bridge? Water under the bridge amazing story. Like, I'm amazed by that. Like, how do you have that 180, that immediately one lady from when you get into the country, I mean, when you take the office to now. Beating your chest. Yeah. We're going to be this strong about Saudi Arabia. We're going to make them kneel and all this other stuff. Not so much. Two million barrels less. And in this case, you're basically saying, well, he's prime minister, so water under the bridge. We can't do anything about it. Finland has recorded the highest number of men refusing both compulsory military civilian service since 2016, according to local media. Every male Finnish citizen must carry out military service for a minimum period of six months. Alternatively, they can opt for a longer period of non-military civilian service, which lasts for nearly a year, according to Finland's uh, conscription act. As of now, Finnish law punishes so-called total objectors who refuse both options with a prison sentence of six months. Finland puts you in prison if you don't serve in the military? Or... Wow. So does Israel. 
Yeah, no, and but how big is that military? Yeah, <laughs> I, but I guess I, I get that for Israel. Israel has been militaristic uh, for a while, but Finland? I, I don't necessarily think of Finland as being a militaristic thing like that. Wow. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Should we have something like that here? Not compulsory military service per se, but this notion of public service versus military service get people closer in regards to the country itself. We'll, we'll come back to it. We'll come back to it. Ukrainian troops subjected the Zaporozhia nuclear power plant to massive artillery shelling, damaging strategic facilities, and advisor to the head of the Rosinergam, no, Rosinergatam, a subsidiary of Russian state nuclear energy company, Rostam, told Sputnik on Sunday, quote, the Ukrainian military launched a massive strike directly at the station. Twelve rockets were fired. It is known that six of them hit the cooling system of the reactor. Two hit the dark past task storage of radioactive waste. The consequences of the shelling cannot be determined yet since the risk of repeated attacks remains. Unquote. Renat Karacha said, none of the Zabrosia personnel were injured, according to Karacha. They are bombing a nuclear power facility. Just put that in context. Let's keep going. The air operation that Turkey or Turkey carried out in northern Syria could be the first step towards the land operation, Turkish media reported. Earlier, reports emerged in Kurdish media that Turkey had once again carried out an air attack against the city of Kobani in northern Syria. Farad Shami, head of the media center for Kurdish-led Syrian Democratic Forces, said on Twitter late on Saturday that Turkish aircraft were attacking the city of Kobani. Turkish state yeah, Turkish state news agency reported, citing Defense Ministry, that an air operation against the YPG that the military wing of the PKK or the Kurdish Worker Party, both designated by Ankara as terrorist organizations, was being carried out in northern Syria and northern Iraq. This day in history, in 1906, China prohibits the opium trade. Well, yeah, this gets interesting in regards to British and Chinese history. In 1970, General Has, I think this is Hafez, Al-Assad becomes Prime Minister of Syria following a military coup. In 1971, the Battle of Gabipur, Indian troops aided by Mukha... Wow, okay. Let's, let's try this again. This is Mukti Ba'ani um, Bengali guerrillas defeated the Pakistani army, or the Pakistan army. In 2017, Robert Mugabe's resignation after 37 years in power is read out in Zimbabwe's parliament during impeaching proceedings or impeachment proceedings. Yeah, that one is super interesting. Those are your headlines. You guys are listening to Fault Lines. My name is Jamal Thomas, Manila Chan, Malik Abdul. I want to hit that question. Should there be some notion of military service or for that matter, um, civilian service? No. Hard no. Well, you know, we have the draft. Yeah, but right. They, but that's not really the draft. draft. That's just an 18-year-old no, when you get out of school. Here's, you... my, here's my thing. Hard no, because that implies my child belongs to the state. And I refuse to have the state own any human or have any control over anybody's bodily autonomy. My body is mine. My child's body is mine until he is 18 years old and he can decide for himself. The state does not own its citizens. We own the state. Should we not have a draft then? No. No draft. Even if the country is at war, even the country is about to be destroyed. Hard no. no. We do not. The state does not own us. We own the state. She's an absolutist on that point. What about you, Millie? I'm a little indifferent. I, I could see the need for a draft and yeah. some type of... Your country's national... about to be destroyed. Do you get involved or not? Then create a country that people want to fight for. I'm just saying, the country doesn't think that way. Governments don't think that way in general. But fair point. Um, very strong answer by Manila. I love I'm strong answers. Very strong. <laughs> She's absolutely just on that point. Absolutely. Love that. I love that. I, I don't, it's like, I don't know, man. Love that. Uh, but look, you guys are listening to Fault Lines. My name is Jamal Thomas, Manila Chan, Malik Abdul. Back in a moment. 
fault lines. Fault lines. Welcome back to Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik. My name is Jamal Thomas. I'm joined with Manila Chan and Malik Abdul coming to you live out of our station in Washington, D.C. If you guys live in the D.C. area, you can catch us on radio at 105.5 FM at 1390 AM. We're also kicking around in Kansas City at 102.9 FM and 104.7 FM. If you guys are digging what Manila, Malik, and I are putting down whatever platform you're consuming this content on, give us a like, share the audio or video. If you want to join in on the conversation, you could do so with a chat, a tweet, and of course, you can reach us by phone at 202-521-1320. Your engagement helps make the show what it is. Definitely don't be shy. Let's go to our guests. We're joined with the one and only Scott Ritter. He's a former UN weapons inspector and weapons of mass destruction whistleblower. Scott, welcome to the show, my man. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing great, thanks. Yourself? We are doing great. Better that you are joining us. And I wanted to get your take. We, we hadn't had a chance to talk to you since the S-300 um, strike in Poland, killing the two farmers that were on the ground. Um, Zelensky, for days after that, despite the fact that the United States, despite the fact that Poland and the other um, G7 countries that were there at the meeting, um, basically said, no, this is not from Russia. Russia didn't necessarily fire this. Zelensky continued to scream that this was a Russian missile that was fired from Russia, basically trying to get the Third World War kicked off. Um, my assessment of this was what Zelensky realized on some level, whether he would admit it or not, is that their chance, their propensity, their objective of winning any sort of military conflict at this particular point is over with, especially with the extra 300,000 reserves coming into play, and that his only chance of winning this was basically to try to get the other world powers to get involved. And the other world powers basically said, yeah, we don't want a third world war, bro. Come up with a different reason. Give me your take on this missile strike in and of itself, the one that hit Poland, and even Zelensky's take on it, and even from the standpoint of the U.S., basically calling Zelensky a liar and reprimanding him for lying. Well, I mean, let's just start off with, let's start, you know, with first principles here. Ukraine is losing this conflict. They know this. They know that there's literally no hope. They've burned through their reserves. Uh, NATO doesn't have anything that can immediately reconstitute that which has been lost on the battlefield. Winter is approaching. Uh, Their economy is in uh, disaster. The electrical goods shut down. uh, Gas. Supplies are going to be shut off. Um, it's literally going from third world status to Neanderthal status. Uh, and there's desperation. Um, we saw this desperation, you know, uh, a month ago where you had the deputy foreign minister threatening Europe with a wave of new refugees if they didn't send them more aid. You saw potential false flag, uh, dirty bomb scenario being, uh, you know, floated around, um, and you see the ongoing uh, bombardment of the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant in an effort to promote international intervention uh, to take control of the plant. Uh, The Ukrainians are desperate to get NATO and the collective West to directly intervene in this conflict, to change the dynamic, uh, because without that, it's all over. It's game, set, match, uh, 10 to 15 divisions worth of uh, Russian troops, fresh, are going to appear on the battlefield starting next month. And when that happens, you know, it's just a, uh, it's a one-way path to uh, total defeat. So now we've, we've said that. Let's take a look at what happened. First of all, we need to understand that everything about the Ukrainian battle space is being tracked by, by NATO real time. Um, I've sat in, 
the control rooms that do this sort of thing. And uh, when a missile is launched, we know exactly when the missile was launched, where it was launched, who launched it. And then we can track the flight of the missile throughout the, 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 the route. We know what radars were activated in relationship to this missile. We know if the Russians fire a missile, when it comes into the airspace, what the trajectory is, azimuth direction, where it's going to land. And there's no secrets. Uh, anything electronic, anything infrared, anything that emits any sort of detectable uh, signal is tracked real time. And the reason why I bring that up is it's tracked by NATO. That means there's different command centers throughout the region where Polish, Latvian, Estonian, Lithuanian, Czech uh, military officers are there. And they know right now when that was fired, heading in, that it was an S-300 fired from this battery on this azimuth. This radar was activated. This is the trajectory it took. That's where it landed. There was no secrets, no secrets at all. And yet, Poland, Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, and the Czech Republic immediately responded by saying this was a Russian attack, which tells you they were front-loaded, that this wasn't an an event-driven incident, meaning something happened, reports are coming in, and we're going to go ahead and release information that, you know, turned out to be incorrect, but we were, you know, we were legitimate to release it because that's what the information suggested. The information never suggested it was a Russian missile. Never once did the information suggest it was a Russian missile. No one can say that we thought it was a Russian missile. That is just a bald-faced lie, but they said it anyways, which creates suspicion. Now we talk about who launched it. Could this have been an accident? No, under no circumstance could this have been an accident. The distance that missile flew, the trajectory, the azimuth, it can only happen when a radar-guided missile is directed towards a specific radar beam. Normally, that beam is oriented towards an incoming target. But if you want to use it as a surface-to-surface missile, you can shine the beam to a point in the sky where the missile will follow in until the fuel is expended and then fall to the Earth in a ballistic trajectory, which is exactly what happened here. This missile was aimed at Poland from the very start forensically, There is no other way this can happen. I'm just going to say that straight up to end any debate, because I did this for a living. (laughs) Wait, so just so I I don't want to be extremely clear. You're saying that Ukraine fired that missile into Poland in order to provoke a military response with the idea that NATO countries would back them in this false flag. I'm saying more than that. Are you saying you think they were in on it? I'm saying that whoever jumped in on this from the beginning in Poland, Latvia, Estonia, Lithuania, were in on it because they knew it wasn't a Russian missile, but they decided to pretend it was anyways. Now, here's where it gets cloudy. Zelensky isn't stupid. I mean, we, we can, you know, we can have a debate about that, but I, I believe Zelensky knows what he wants to accomplish, which is to continue the flow of Western aid to his country, which means you don't Bite the hand that feeds you. And so why is Zelensky doing what he's doing? I believe Zelensky was briefed by the commander of the Ukrainian forces and the commander of the Ukrainian air forces, and they both said, we did not do this. Now, the question is, are they lying? I don't believe they are. You don't just go out and lie to your commander in chief. So 
So I believe they pushed down and said, did we do this? And they were told, no, 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 we, we, we didn't do this, which tells me that this was a rogue operation being done at a low level that a major or lieutenant colonel in the Western Ukraine zone, which means he's actively exposed to the intelligence services of Poland, Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, conspired with his counterparts in the intelligence services in those countries to create an incident, and that he fired the missile, reports were generated, people acted, and then suddenly the adults in the room went, that ain't a Russian missile, and we're going to shut this thing down. And now they went to Zelensky, but Zelensky said, no, 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 I was told this wasn't ours. This wasn't ours, and he's adamant about it because I don't think he believes that his army would lie to him. And he's, you know, this is just further underscores how unqualified he is to be the president of Ukraine, uh, a former comedian operating in a level that is well beyond his capability. But I, I think that a ultranationalist Ukrainian officer at the major lieutenant colonel level, in coordination with intelligence uh, professionals from Poland, Latvia, Lithuania, and Estonia, deliberately launched this missile into Poland to create a crisis. And look what it's done. I mean, because they knew that there were <laughs> no logical person would have thought World War III was going to start because of this. But what has happened now? German Patriot missile batteries are being sent up to the border between Poland and Ukraine. German aircraft are now forward deployed into Poland flying combat air patrols. They're flying combat air patrols and they deployed surface-to-air missiles because a Polish missile, I mean a Ukrainian missile, attacked Poland. And yet now they're beefing up these defenses at, as if it were Russia's fault. They're one step closer to achieving what the Ukrainian nationalists want which is a no-fly zone uh, protected by a surface-to-air missile uh, umbrella. And this is just one step closer to the potential of a straight-up fight between NATO and Russia over Ukraine. Very dangerous situation. But Scott, here's where it gets even worse, is that not only did some politicians in the West and, and perhaps even here in America, they did show some restraint, but the fact that a lot of politicians and highly influential people, uh, whether they're media people or, you know, TV stars, movie stars, whatever, were talking, tweeting about this with their hair on fire without any kind of fact check whatsoever, the media runs with it and perfect storm of creating pretext to start a war. And that's the danger. I mean, you know, the whole WMD thing bogus they ran with it anyway the the reason the u.s got involved in the vietnam war the fake never happened gulf of tonkin i mean you could go down the line you know the the fake um the fake u.s or excuse me the fake uh iraqi uh, invasion to the kuwaiti hospitals started the gulf war that that never none of that ever happened but it didn't matter all it took was the media to run with it and some influential people to say it and that is the pretext for war. I mean, have we gotten to that phase or, or, or are cooler heads starting to prevail? Well, I mean, cooler heads, cooler heads prevented this from spinning, but that was always going to be the case. What, again, I don't believe that this incident was designed to create a war. I believe this incident did exactly what it was designed to do, which is to get 
NATO to forward deploy air defense systems and aircraft in anticipation of a potential no-fly zone being established in Ukraine. You know, this, this is a, graduate, a, a gradual process. It wasn't meant to go from zero to 100 overnight, but the media 100% played a role in this. The media is a disgrace, literally a disgrace. Um, and, and just wait until the refugees start coming because there's going to be 10 million freezing Ukrainians showing up at the Polish border. And the Polish are going to scream that we can't take them. And now there's going to be a humanitarian disaster unfolding on the Polish-Ukrainian border, screaming for help. People must go across the border. We have to help these poor people. We won't let them in our country because we don't like them. But uh, we have to help them. But we can't go there because those Russians, those evil Russians, are attack. we must put a no-fly zone over to guarantee the humanitarian safety. That's the debate you're going to be seeing in the next couple of weeks. Of course, immediately after, and we're kind of talking about the media role, but the administration is actually playing into it as well. Because I remember watching the press conference where Defense Secretary Austin was asked, and he, in a very resigned way, seemed to concede that Russia was not behind um, the attack. But it's still their fault. <laughs> right. And in fact, that's the point that I was getting ready to make. But then he immediately followed up. He said, no, this wasn't Russia's fault. But the rest of it, essentially, he was saying that everything else that led us to this point is all because of Russia. So Russia's to blame without being at fault. Russia's still to blame. This is the position of the U.S. And so I was actually kind of surprised that Austin even while he acknowledged that Russia was not involved, he still pushed the idea that it doesn't matter that they weren't involved in this. Everything else is Russia's fault. What, what, what is the U.S. What is the U.S. doing here? What is Austin doing? No, I mean, that's what they're saying. Of course, the, the U.S. narrative is that this is an unprovoked act of aggression on the part, you know, on the part of Russia invading an innocent nation, Ukraine. And therefore, anything that comes from this conflict up to and including a Ukrainian missile fly, fired into Poland is Russia's fault because if they had not invaded, this never would have happened. And I was speaking at an event in Boston on Saturday, and someone made the same point, and I shot them down harder than you can possibly shoot them down because I threw it right back in their face about the American training facilities in Ukraine established in 2015, training 50, you know, one battalion every 55 days for seven years straight, sending them straight to eastern Ukraine to kill Russians. The Minsk Accords, the sham that it was to set up a potential war. The United States was never serious about peace. The United States was always serious about war. Lloyd Austin can kiss my foot. I mean, the bottom line is the United States started this conflict. Russia exhausted every venue possible short of war to prevent this conflict. Russia went in because there was no other option, uh, no other option available to save the citizens of the Donbass. And if you want to blame anybody on this, blame the United States. I wish I was there when he said it. I would have shot him down. Scott, let me ask you this. There seems to be a breakdown or a division between, let's say, the Pentagon versus the State Department. And you can see this in the commentary by Malley, uh, Milley, Mark Milley, where he basically said, look, there needs to be a political solution. Um, But you can also see it, let's say, from the standpoint of the State Department in the way that these guys like Blinkens and whatnot, very hostile, very aggressive. And in the very beginning, you know, the anonymous sources apparently came the from... Leak. Yeah, yeah, the leak itself, the quote-unquote leak that it was Russia came from State Department, if I'm not mistaken. No, no, it came from the DOD. 
Oh, the Department of the Defense. DOD. So remember, the DOD used to be called the War Department. Right, the Department of War. And suddenly, the Department of War is the one doing, you know, the talking of diplomacy. So I think Which that's a little weird. weird. And yeah. then you have, you have Tony Blinken over there, war hawking, beating his chest yes. from the State Department with all the other eggheads. So, I mean, Scott, how do you square that when you have Mark Milley? But I should also note, not only has Mark Milley had this leak you know, diplomacy talks. Yeah. But then on the other side of his mouth, he says, well, the U.S. will continue supporting Ukraine for as long as we have to. Yeah. What does that mean? Well, I mean, let's, let's, well, what it means is Mark Milley's under instructions from the, his civilian leadership uh, to continue providing military support to Ukraine. Mark Milley also is looking at it as a, from a professional standpoint, saying we've lost this conflict. We can't win this conflict. There's nothing we can do to turn this around. It's all over, and the longer this goes, the more difficult it's going to be for Ukraine. So let's have a peace settlement now. He is looking at the tea leaves, and they are screaming Russia wins decisively sometime in late spring, early summer of next year. It's all over, and boom. Now you have the civilians who, of course, had bought into this whole notion that Russia was going to lose this conflict. All we had to do is double down and support the Ukrainians. They're still buying into that. No negotiation without Ukraine, et cetera, et cetera. But here's the thing. (laughs) It's an internal debate. They're debating themselves because you know who's not listening to them? You know who doesn't care? Russia. Russia is sitting there saying, do what you need to do. We don't care. We got 300,000 troops showing up on the battlefield next month. And when that happens, the new reality will kick in and we're just going to win. And uh, you guys can discuss all you want about what you think you want to do, what you should be doing, etc. We gave you a chance in April. We sat down in Istanbul. We were ready to stop that conflict. You decided not to do it. You decided to send tens of billions of, do- of, of military aid to Ukraine. You doubled down on victory and now you're going to lose and we're not going to help you get out of the mess you created. So the- Russia is defining the terms of its victory. And because here's the other thing, no matter what Miley and Blinken and Sullivan and all the other idiots say, they still come down to, to, you know, Russia has to basically concede defeat. That the negotiated settlement is somehow Russia withdrawing from territory. That ain't never going to happen. The negotiated settlement is Russia foregoing demilitarization, denazification. That's not going to happen either. So even though they're talking the language of negotiated settlement, it's a fantasy. It really is. That's like me demanding that I be allowed to be the starting quarterback of a Super Bowl football team. They're saying, nice term, Ritter. It ain't never going to happen. So the disagreement here, the breakdown between the two is a political versus a military assessment. Like the military assessment is saying, We've lost. Physical reality. Yeah, physical reality. Whereas the political assessment is, let's just shape reality. That's ideological. That's purely That's ideological. That's fascinating. I mean, how does this get resolved? Or it does this get resolved? I mean, is it one of those things where at some point the military assessment just wins out? Where it's like, I mean, look, we're going to lose this. We need well, to come to some not, kind of agreement. Ha, has either side really defined for themselves what winning men means and what losing means? I mean, does the U.S. even know what victory had they defined the terms of victory? Let's let's just use this as an example. 
Afghanistan. In the last 10 years of America's involvement there, we had very similar debates. And what we now know when we go back and listen to all of the internal discussion from the so-called experts and diplomats and military people, it didn't matter because we were saying things like, we will never settle, the Taliban will not be allowed in, there must be shared control. We lived in a fantasy world. Reality came in, the Taliban took over. The same thing's happening right now. We live in a fantasy world where we think we're in control of something. We're not in control. There's only one player with a vote, and that's Russia. Their vote is the only one that counts. They're shaping reality. They will dictate the solution, just like the Taliban shaped reality, and they dictated the solution. The blabber coming out of Washington, D.C. means nothing because it's an internal debate amongst people who are not in control of the situation. If this was a cabal of people who were basically within the context of the Ukrainian government itself, and if they indeed give, I guess, certain information or certain forewarning to Estonia and some of the other Baltic countries that are in the region, where is Biden on this? I mean, is this a situation where the Biden administration was caught off guard that this, I guess, you could say black operation was taking place and basically trying to draw the other countries into the conflict? Because like you said, they were always going to find out, OK, that's the S-300. That's a Ukrainian missile. Their, re- their radar and everything else was easily able to get that across. So what was the expectation with the U.S.? Did they believe that the U.S. would be okay with this? Like, meaning, because if this is a small cadre of people who were basically involved in trying to provoke this conflict further, well, you get into countries like the U.K., the United States. What are these other countries doing? And what did Biden think to himself at the point where he's realizing, okay, these guys are trying to start a third world war? Give me your take on this. It's fascinating. Well, again, I don't believe the United States and the U.K., I don't think Germany or France, I don't think any of the the big boys were involved in this. That's my point. That's precisely my point. But they had front-loaded the outcome with their rhetoric. I mean, Lloyd Austin, it's Russia's fault. You know, they're they're incapable of, you know, saying, no, this was Ukraine's fault. They got sucked in. They they created a scenario that these guys exploited. Like I said, this was never going to end up in a war. This was supposed to end up with NATO pushing itself closer towards implementing a no-fly zone. But, you know, NATO has avoided stacking the Polish-Ukrainian border with air defense systems that create an air defense umbrella that extends into Ukrainian airspace, because that's a deliberately provocative thing. Look what has just happened. Germany is deploying Patriot surface-to-air missiles to the border. Why? Not because Russia attacked Poland, because Ukraine attacked Poland. But this is this literally; these people don't know how to think. I'm, I, I, the Germans are so stupid. You, on the one hand, you have Schultz saying we are not going to get sucked into a larger conflict in Ukraine. Meanwhile, he's doing everything possible to ensure he gets sucked into a larger conflict in Ukraine. Scott, let me let me throw this at you because I was I was reading something on RT, and this is like a sort of tell-all by an American neo-Nazi who went to join Azov, and there's photos and everything, so it's kind of like his tell-all, I don't know, he, he escaped, long story short is, he went, he was fighting in Mariupol, he managed to escape when he was in the hospital because he found out that the SBU was trying to kill him. So, right, so here's the, here's the weird twist. I don't know if you've seen the story, Scott, but the twist is that 
he finds out the SBU is trying to kill him because he says the Azov and the right sector, in which he was a member of both, he's an American guy from Florida. Uh, he goes by bone face. He, his face is full of tattoos, like to look like a skeleton. skeleton? Yeah. Oh, um, but he's how pleasant. Neo-Nazi. So he says that Azov and, and uh, right sector are actually against anti-NATO, anti-EU, because if those groups interfere, they cannot achieve their nationalist agenda and they will try to, you know, make, make Ukraine too democratic where, you know, people of all colors are welcome, Jews are welcome, and <laughs> stuff like that. So is there any chance that Azov or right sector will, will turn on itself and turn against Zelensky? Absolutely. Well, first of all, they're not for Zelensky. They've never been for Zelensky. Remember, these are the people after Zelensky got elected, went to him and said, if you implement Minsk, I will hang you by the neck until you're dead on the streets of Kiev. Your corpse will be hanging on the street. They've admitted it straight up that they told him that. He doesn't deny it. Um, you know, so <laughs> these are the people that say, we understand if there was an election today in Ukraine, we might win high single digits. <laughs> but we dominate this country through fear and intimidation. We make them do that which needs to be done because we tell them we will kill them. And they believe us because we will kill them. So this is, this is Azov. This is the right sector. This is C-19. This is all those other hate groups that are out there. And they are not pro-NATO. They are not pro-EU. They are ultra-nationalistic, white supremacist, neo-Nazis. How do I know this? Because I read the congressional amendments that uh, Jamie Raskin and other really well-minded Democrats uh, demanded be put into the Defense Appropriations Act from 2015 up until this year. It said no money can be sent to train the white supremacist neo-Nazi Azov Battalion. I know as Jamie Raskin and other well-minded Democrats signed a letter to Mike Pompeo in 2019 demanding that Azov be designated as a foreign terrorist organization because of its white supremacist neo-Nazi roots. I read that. Jamie Raskin seems to have forgotten about this along with the rest of the Democrats, but we know who these people are. Let's not pretend that they're Ukrainian nationalists. Let's not pretend that they care about anything other than uh, installing a model of governance based upon the hateful ideology of their hero, Stepan Bandera. Yeah, suddenly the Democrats totally forgot. Yeah, memory As if gone. this doesn't exist, as if they didn't know about them before, because now these... These literal neo-Nazis are marching around Capitol Hill shaking hands with Democrats. Well, you know, they're, they're looking at Raskin now. They're talking about Raskin as being one of the, the for Democrats, the head of the oversight committee. So the Democrats person as the head of the oversight committee, that Jamie Raskin, the same one who, who I think probably even back in 2016, he was one. He didn't vote to certify the election of Donald Trump. Really? Oh, oh no. Well, it's a common thing. It's uh, not uncommon. That's one of the things. Um, but no one made Maxine a big deal Water, of it. Nobody cared. Yeah, Maxine Waters, Sheila Jackson Lee. The I Democrats that. have a history of voting not to and not to certify elections, not even in their own states. I believe that Maxine Waters. I think she voted not to certify the election results in Ohio or something. But yes, Raskin is their person that they're saying that they want. <laughs> that person. You and know, there's it, not going to be any 
oversight of the money that goes to Ukraine. There's not going to be any oversight no. of the FTX money laundering campaign. I mean, the money laundering ended in Afghanistan after 20 years. They milked that cow for as long as they could. And now, you know, they needed another war to to funnel more money into the military industrial complex. And, and they also found Bitcoin. They found a way to another way to launder money. Oh, wow. Scott, before you go. And is we're asking is this. Hey, Jamie, I'm glad you're going to be the Democrats guy on the Oversight Committee. You know who your Republican counterpart's going to be? Oh, yeah. Is and that Jim Jordan? Uh, well, it's going, to be, it, it, it's going to be influenced by a woman named Marjorie Taylor. <laughs> who, who Jamie Raskin called out on the, uh, on the floor of Congress on April 28th when she dared say, why are we sending money to go train Nazis? He said, you know, shame on you. There is no proof that there are Nazis in Ukraine. I can't wait. He is a Jewish man. He is a a Jewish man, and he's defending the right sector and Azov. It's worse than that. Look at what Germany's doing. (laughs) Look at what Germany's doing. Asking the impeachment manager, because, you know, he was one of the impeachment managers, too. Oh, that's deplorable, to put it mildly, to take a word from Clinton. Um, Scott, before we let you go, what is taking place on the ground from the battlefield perspective of the events um, between the countries? Well, I mean, the battlefield is... You know, in a in a state of stability, I guess. Uh, the, you know, we we talked about this before about General Mud. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. You know, General Mud has has arrived. So the idea, the Ukrainians are complaining now. We can't carry out the lightning offenses that we did in September because the weather, the mud. We can't move fast. Uh, well, you can't do it now either because every time you try it, the Russian artillery decimates you. Uh, the Russians have built a defensive line that has strong points that are impervious to anything the Ukrainians can throw at them. And they are designed to lure the Ukrainians into a gap, which is really a fire zone where they get destroyed by artillery. And this is what's been happening. Now, the Ukrainians have literally sacrificed tens of thousands of men and thousands of pieces of equipment, uh, banging their head against this uh, new Russian brick wall. And the Russians, meanwhile, are, (laughs) again, 10 to 15 divisions worth of troops are showing up next month. And um, Ukraine's got an end. And, oh, and the other thing that happens next month, General Winter arrives. That means General Mud that slowed everything down becomes General High Speed Avenue of Approach. So it's, it's, this is why the Ukrainians are so desperate right now. And then the Russians have added to the desperation because while the battlefield might be relatively static, uh, there's no static going on in the rear areas where the Russians on a daily basis are pounding into dust the Ukrainian ability to generate electricity, to generate power, to heat their homes. There is talk now that Ukraine is going to have to order the evacuation of major cities because anybody left behind will freeze to death. That's the situation that's arisen. Um, and, and this, again, we come back to what we talked about. This is going to lead tens of millions of people fleeing to Europe at a time when Europe is in no position to take them, both in terms of their economy and their, 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 their social support network, but also, more importantly, politically. Europe doesn't like Ukraine. The Ukrainians are nasty people. Their government is a nasty government, and the Europeans are starting to put two and two together. So... This is just going to be a humanitarian disaster. Uh, And again, it didn't need to happen. And Lloyd Austin, look in the mirror. It's your fault, Lloyd. It's Biden's fault. It's Blinken's fault. 
It's Sullivan's fault. It's everybody in the Biden administration's fault. But you know whose fault it isn't? Russia's fault. Russia's only doing this because you didn't allow any potential off-ramp from war. Got totally off subject. You're in upstate New York, aren't you? I am. How much snow got dumped up there? Uh, Buffalo got hit real bad. Fortunately for me in Albany, we don't have the big lake, so we don't get the lake effect snow. But Buffalo got hit with a record five to six feet of snow in one day. Wow. So you, you didn't have that in Albany? We, we got 0.5 centimeters. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was just wondering because you're the first New Yorker I've spoken to since this happened. So, Oh, yeah. Well, he's in the city, though. Yeah. The, city didn't, the city didn't have that. But upstate is... It got really bad. They, they have yet to assess potentially how many people have mm-hmm. died. Um, oh, it's that bad. It was, yeah, because okay. roofs were caving in. We're talking five, six, seven feet of snow accumulation. And it was heavy snows, from what I understand, like big, thick, wet, heavy snow. Yep, it's, it's the bad kind. Yeah, the bad, sloshy snow. So, it, yeah, we, we don't know yet because um, my, my whole point to that was electricity prices have risen so much that I, I was worried that there was going to be a lot of um, excess death from the cold. Especially elderly. Elderly people because they can't afford their electricity bills or they got to keep it at a certain temperature. Um, but yeah, thanks, Biden. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Scott, always appreciate talking to you, man. Um, the Ukraine thing is fascinating to me, um, especially the way I looked at it is Ukraine is no way out. Um, and their standpoint or their way out was potentially to drag the West into it. Um, I'm glad you were able to explain that, though, to get that across, that the entire point wasn't a third world war. The entire point was to get the NATO countries further ensconced into the war. Ruffle more feathers. Yeah, basically. Yeah. It's like this kind of slow, exorable, um, slow boil, lurch. Boil the frog slowly, right? Yeah. Um, but Scott, thank you for this, man. The voice you guys were listening to is Scott Ritter. He's a former UN weapons inspector and weapons of mass destruction whistleblower. You can follow Scott on Telegram at Scott Ritter. Um, yeah, so let's do this. Let's take in calls. The number is 202-521-1320. That is 202-521-1320. And boy, the flog is right. He, it's a fascinating thing. His point is the framing of their rhetoric creates a situation where it's kind of like Obama when he comes out and says, weapons of mass destruction are, uh, I'm sorry, chemical weapons are red line in Syria. Immediately, the terrorists, Suddenly, okay. there's chemical weapons. There, suddenly, there's chemical weapons, right? Go figure. Go figure. The way that Amazing. works. Amazing. And so his point is like, look, the, the goal wasn't necessarily a third world war. They weren't necessarily going to go that far. But the rhetoric that they basically use over this conflict means right. that the countries are going well, to get closer to the brink. Well, how long have they been saying, we will protect every inch of NATO territory? The entire, that's exactly right. So, you know, uh, an S-300 went four miles into the Poland border. Yes. Got to defend Poland. From Every Ukraine, inch. apparently. <laughs> From Ukraine. Yes. Can you defend against Ukraine? But he has a really good point on that, right? I mean, Germany has basically said, okay, we're now going to put missile defense shields around the area. Then they're hitting the Japrosia nuclear power plant again to get other countries involved. And we must protect this power plant. So now we must bring in a coalition of the willing in order to do so. No, it's fascinating. Scott, he, he knows his stuff on this stuff. And even going so far as to say, like, look. All of these people knew the moment that that missile was fired, where that missile was coming from. Um, even Those going two so Polish far, farmers didn't know. And by the way, he's given Zelensky somewhat of a pass, basically saying Zelensky but was just did. lied to. Whereas I thought Zelensky was just lying. I, think, I don't know. I think he was in on it. He, he could have been. I don't know. I mean, but maybe. I, it, I mean, Scott has a point too. Yeah. yeah. If, if the lower level guys lied all him, the way up the chain, right? Then he could be. 
He's he like, no, really, it's not our missile. Wink, wink, that type of stuff. He could be, could have been duped. Yeah. That's possible. That's the catch, man. Fog of war. Yeah. Brave. Chocolate City. What's going on, man? Hey, good morning, guys. Hey, hey. Um, your point uh, about, or the, the earlier point about um, voluntary service or mandatory service in the military. Yes. Um, in the U.S., I actually have um, for a long time believed, actually since my um, since my first station in Germany, I actually believe, seeing how things were there, I actually believe that we should have it here. Um, whether whether it's mandatory uh, military service uh, or, or civilian. Um, public service. Yeah, whether it's military or some form of public service or uh, mandatory uh, university, what they call it there, right? Uh-huh. Because it it gives you skin in the game. Like if you look back at the um the well like the kind of, like the debate about what happened to the anti war movement, well look at when the anti war movement was right the draft it was during the draft and, and what we only have what two percent of the U S population is in the military, just two percent. So you get to have the president's men, basically. Right. So, like, and, and now I, I get, I, I do get Manila's point about the um, the state not owning our children's bodies, right? But I think more importantly is the discomfort. Well, you, you would get, if, if you were able to get a choice between public service, military service, or university, in one way, form, or fashion, you still get a chance to um, get a larger view of the world and have some skin in the game. But most importantly, without um, that discomfort, without that that um, risk of pain, that that risk of danger, then you get what we have now, whereas most Americans, they don't know, they don't care whatever TMZ says about the news. That's just what they're, that's what they're getting the news. And, you know, so that, that's what it is. But more importantly, Brave, you don't get this thing where, okay, we're going to send our military off into this other country and nobody well, else cares. Your kid might die. That's the, you know, yeah. the, the yeah. danger of that. The, the idea of that makes people think twice. If the politicians' kids are out there right. just like everybody else's kid, just like the poor kid from Mobile, Alabama, right. then the politician might think twice. But you also get this thing where the public no longer is dispassionate about military action around the globe. Like, meaning, if you're sending your military off, Obama's like, there's no boots on the ground. Okay, what if there are boots on the ground and your kid could go to that? Mm-hmm. Like, when I look at my cousin, my cousin was in the military. It's like, oh, God, every time I see some kind of military action, I think to myself, they could drag my cousin into this nonsense. And, and it's not just you as a person. It is, if you look at members of Congress, like, people would revisit their positions on even the military and probably even law enforcement in the country. But I do think that there should be there. I'm okay with there being some level of it, you know, how that actually looks. I don't know, but the, as great a as great as we are, as great as we feel as we are the best country around the world, the support for America or the, the, and I don't want to say patriotism because it We're sounds so... We're radical individualists. Right. In the way that we call it. Yeah. And, 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 but I think that that's something that's created this, well, it's not my thing. Like, I don't well, have to do it. I, I yeah, get Brave's exactly. point. Bra- Brave is very patriotic. <laughs> and, and I'm not saying that disparagingly. I mean it. But... I think that's because there's a different set of values. I mean, we're all of a certain age in this group, this conversation right here. Um, But I think we have been at war. The country has been at war someplace, somewhere for so long that Americans have become numb to it. Yeah. And it's no longer real. Mm -hmm. But I think that's a societal issue. And I don't think the state needs to get involved in dragging people's children anywhere. And you know, this is a, a, a systemic reform by way of the politicians is what needs to change. And how that changes but that won't, is how, how we elect the idiots to get up there in the first place. 
But that's that's the point. The, because because the public has no skin in the right, game, they, they feel they have no power. They put up no fight. When you have when you when Manila, you would be side by side with my wife at the White House trying to drag people out if y'all babies would be yeah. <laughs> forced to go to go to some war. That is that is the point. Like in in order for there to be some type of public awareness, the public has to have some skin in the game, right? Right now we got PS five, yes. we got TMZ. By the way, this was FDR's point yeah. with Social Security. I mean, you know, he was like, people are going to fight Brave for it if they believe point. that they were giving money into it, as opposed to being separate from it. Brave. Valid. Thank you, my man. Um, Peter, call back. Uh, 945. Oh. We'll try to get back to you. But I wanted the point to be made. Just was, You're so strong okay. on that I, point. I owe you. I owe yeah. you to Peter. Um, but look, you guys are listening to Fault Lines. My name is Jamal Thomas, Manila Chan, Malik Abdul. Back in a moment. Fault Lines. Live from the divided states of America, precipitously perched at the edge of this resilient and exploited globe. Welcome to your context lens for the American perspective. In the left corner, I'm your ever vigilant, your indefatigable political analyst, Jamal Thomas. And somewhere in the center, the vixen of Veritas, the thriller in Manila, Chan. And winging it, you have the do-rag conservative, the atomic MAGA host here, Malik Abdul, joining you, and you are listening to Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik. Um, I would say anybody that is interested in understanding the Ukraine thing should go back and listen to the first part with Scott Ritter. Fascinating take on that. Like, I am very dicey with going with this idea. Okay, they did this on purpose to start a world war. But but sometimes Scott makes it... Damn good argument um, as to why he believes that this was a ball of people that were basically trying to instigate, not necessarily a thorough war. Ratchet up. Ratchet it up, though. Right. Ratchet up tensions. Get the other countries further involved in it. Because at the end of the day, none of them were ever going to say Ukraine's fault. All of them turned Look, around. And that's the thing, right? I'm more I'm more pissed off at our politicians for not rebuking him. Yeah. For not rebuking Zelensky and saying, shame on you for jumping the shark. Yeah. And just saying... Let's go to war. Well, apparently they reprimanded him, uh, which is, you know, yeah. it's like you reprimanded him. You, you scold the, the child. When you you have scold the him and then, what, throw billions of dollars yeah. back at him? And Well, because for them, it's less, I mean, look, the issue with Ukraine is not Ukraine. I don't even think they like Skolinski at this point. The way that Biden has basically been annoyed with them, yelling at him and all this other stuff. They dug a hole. Yeah. And now we're stuck with the keep resulting hole. We got to keep digging. I mean, Lloyd Austin, in his argument, was why we need to fight. He's basically making an argument. He's the worst. He comes from the military-industrial complex. Oh, I of mean, course. What was he, Raytheon? Yeah, Raytheon. Yeah. yeah. That was one of the, the, the issues that people had with his nomination, even, right. even yes. though they knew that he would be confirmed, that he's yes. coming from the, yeah, the, it's the like industry. industry. Yeah. It's like Dick Cheney being part of the industry while being vice president. It's like, come on. He was like um, Hall- Halliburton at the time. Yeah, mm-hmm. Halliburton at the time. And Halliburton was getting all of these contracts in Iraq, but no association between these There's two. There's no, no. No association. No but- conflict of interest at all. <laughs> right, right. Because, you know, again, this goes back to how the, the rules surrounding the morons that we put in office. Agreed. And, and there's not enough rules and regulation about the people that go up there, including age. Yes. Well, yeah. Too age. young or too old. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot, but again, like Malik said, they're not going to vote against themselves. 
So regulation about that will never happen. We'll never do it. Because and you have incentives. It doesn't oh, benefit them. Well, and incentives are built into the process for the parties to make sure that they are ensconced into the politics of it, despite the fact that Republican Democrat aren't in the Constitution. Like, meaning even Matthew Ho, the way they were taking actions in order to prevent him from getting Shady. into a particular Shady. political and position. No rules, no rules against it. None. None. Because the people who shake the rules are the ones who are living by those rules and advantaging themselves off those rules, especially from political the standpoint duopoly. of political parties. The exactly. political duopoly. It's, it's two, two, two wings on the same bird. I keep asking. I mean, these parties are just corporations. I keep asking, is there antitrust lawsuits that could be used against parties themselves to try to diversify the number of political parties that are built into them. To break it up? They're too big to fail. Break it up. They're too big to fail. Two corporations that are basically governing and ruling the politics of this country, even making laws to make sure they're more in Scots? Yeah. Why can't we use antitrust rules to go after corporations like this? it's an interesting concept. But they'll, you know, they'll never... To make the law... The politicians on the Hill have to vote on it. Yes. And they'll never vote and on never it. Vote so on you can do an yeah. investigation and we'll throw tens of millions of dollars in the, in the investigation of potentially using, you know, uh, antitrust. Yeah. But then they have to vote on it. <laughs> they'll never do it. So, you know, there's that. Anyway, let's get over to the news. Uh, a couple main stories here um, happening. One domestic, one abroad. Uh, I don't know if you all heard, but a big shooting uh, over in Colorado Springs Saturday night at uh, an LGBTQ plus nightclub. Uh, five people confirmed dead, at least two dozen or more injured. Gunman was subdued. Uh, from what I understand, he's a 22-year-old man. Um, they don't know too much about his background yet at this point. The investigation is underway. Also, uh, a big earthquake in Jakarta has killed probably four dozen people or so confirmed and hundreds more um, injured, building collapses and all that. So uh, waiting for more news to come out of there. But surprisingly, and I'm only going to say this is only a 5.6 earthquake, but that's because I'm a Californian and a 5.6 is like when we bother to get out of bed. But it is a, in, in Indonesia and parts of Asia, obviously where this is at, uh, the buildings, the structures are not the same. And then there's other risks involved with earthquakes and tsunamis and things of that nature. So that said, there are at least uh, four dozen people confirmed dead there from the earthquake. Uh, Then more domestic news here. The news that shook the internet. Donald Trump is allowed back on Twitter. But Sunday, he said he's not going to return to Twitter, even though his account has been reactivated by Elon Musk. He said, quote, I don't see any reason for it. They have a lot of problems at Twitter. You see what's going on? It may make it, it may not make it. Referring to Twitter potentially in the collapse phase, like the Roman Empire. (laughs) That's Trump talking to the Republican Jewish Coalition during a virtual appearance at their annual leadership meeting. Now, the statement confirms what he said on his own Truth Social while the poll was still going on that Elon Musk put out. Quote, vote now with positivity, but don't worry. We aren't going anywhere. Truth Social is special. (laughs) Okay. Uh, And rapper Ye, formerly known as Kanye West, has announced that he will join the race for U.S. president in 2024. In a video interview with the U.S. tabloid during a visit to one of uh, Ye's ateliers, the cameraman asked him if he was going to run for president. 
and the rapper replied with a simple, yes. All right then. Uh, the video tour was to amplify and showcase merch for his Yay24 campaign. And quote, this is Milo, and he was referring to Milo Yiannopoulos, a uh, blonde-haired media personality, super far right. You might remember him from a couple years back. Uh, he says, this is Milo right here working on the campaign, Ye said. Uh, very weird, but all right. And then the U.S. Senate Judiciary Committee is reviewing the reports alleging that there was another leak from the U.S. Supreme Court years before Roe v. Wade was overturned, says the head of the committee, Senator Dick Durbin on Sunday, quote, the Senate Judiciary Committee is reviewing these serious allegations. This is Durbin tweeting, and he says, it is unacceptable that members of the highest court are exempted from the Judicial Code of Ethics. Now on Saturday, the U.S. media published an interview with a former anti-abortion activist called Rob Shank, who said that he learned in advance about the outcome of a 2014 Supreme Court case on contraception. The court ruled that private companies are not required to include birth control in their employees' health plans if it goes against the religious beliefs of those at the helm of the, co uh, the corporation. Um, this is probably more colloquially known as the Hobby Lobby case. Then to international news, Taiwan is a security, quote, red line for China, which Washington must never cross, says Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi, quote, in response to recent erroneous words and deeds by the United States on the Taiwan issue and Washington's attempt to draw a line in Sino-U.S. relations, President Xi Jinping comprehensively and systematically expounded on the origin of the Taiwan issue and China's principled position, clearly pointing out the Taiwan issue is at the center of China's core interests and the core of Sino-U.S. relations, Mr. Wang indicated, in a foreign ministry statement on Sunday summarizing President Xi's trip to the G20 and the APEC summits this week. Now stressing, quote, Taiwan's independence is incompatible with peace and stability across the Taiwan Strait. The Chinese people will never agree to anyone who wants to separate Taiwan from China. And Mr. Wang continued to say, the political foundation and the main red line is that no one can cross. Then the New York Times has confirmed that videos circulating online of more than 10 Russian POWs getting executed by Ukrainians were filmed in the village of Makivka at the time of its recapture by Ukrainian forces. Quote, by comparing the videos to satellite imagery, the Times confirmed that the videos had been filmed at a farmhouse in the village. Some of the videos are part of a series of four drone videos circulated on November 12th by a pro-Ukrainian telegram channel reporting the recapture of Makivka. The Times verified that the other aerial videos had also recently been filmed in the village, says the newspaper. Now, it was emphasized in the report that in those videos, Russian soldiers can be seen lying dead, positioned as they were when they surrendered. It is gruesome video if you haven't seen it. I, I saw it and I just, just wow. Now on Thursday, 
the U.S. DOJ, at the request of the State Department, filed a court document stating that bin Salman qualifies for legal immunity. We're talking about MBS, of course, because he was recently appointed as prime minister of Saudi Arabia by his dad, King Salman. So the U.S. State Department determines that Saudi Crown Prince slash Prime Minister Mohammed bin Salman should be granted immunity in a U.S. lawsuit brought against him by the fiancé of murdered journalist Jamal Khashoggi. Now, the State Department, quote, the State Department recognizes and allows the immunity of Prime Minister Mohammed bin Salman as a sitting head of government of a foreign state. That's what the letter says, asking the DOJ to recommend immunity to the U.S. District Court. So there it is, trying to shield MBS. Then over in Finland, they have recorded the highest number of men refusing both compulsory military or civilian service since 2016, according to local media there. Every male Finnish citizen must carry out military service for a minimum of six months, or they can opt for a longer period of non-military civilian service, which lasts for about a year, according to Finland's Conscription Act. So as of now, Finnish law punishes so-called total objectors who refuse both options with a prison sentence of six months. Then Ukrainian troops subjected the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant to massive artillery shelling, damaging strategic facilities. An advisor to the head of Rosenergo Atom, a subsidiary of the Russian state nuclear energy corporation, Rosatom, told Sputnik on Sunday, quote, the Ukrainian military launched a massive strike directly at the station. 12 rockets were fired. It is known that six of them hit the cooling system of their reactors, two hit the dry cask storage, that's for radioactive waste. The consequences of the shelling cannot be determined yet since the risk of repeated attacks remain, says Renat Kircha. None of the Zaporizhia personnel were injured. Then the air operation that Turkey has carried out in the northern Syria area could be the first step toward a land operation, says Turkish media. Earlier reports emerged in Kurdish media that Turkey had once again carried out an air attack against the city of Kobani in northern Syria. Farhad Shami, the head of the media center of the Kurdish-led Syrian Democratic Forces, better known as, as the SDF, said on Twitter late Saturday that Turkish aircraft were attacking the city of Kobani. Turkish state news agencies reported, citing Defense Ministry, that an air operation against the YPG, the military wing of the PKK, or the Kurdistan Workers' Party, both designated by Ankara as a terrorist organization, was being carried out in northern Syria and northern Iraq. Then this day in history, back in 1906, China prohibits the opium trade. In 1970, General Hafez al-Assad becomes prime minister of Syria following a military coup. Then the next year, 1971, the Battle of Garibor. Indian troops aided by the Mukti Bahini Bengali guerrillas defeat the army of Pakistan. Then in 2017, Robert Mugabe's resignation after 37 years in power read out 
in Zimbabwe's parliament during impeachment proceedings. That will do it for your headlines this Monday, November the 21st. You are listening to Fault Line. All right, so let's take a break. We're going to bring in our guest, Mark Sloboda. And we're going to have a conversation about flight MH17. Um, there was a recent verdict on this from The Hague that I definitely want to get into. It's fascinating. You guys are listening to Fault Lines. My name is Jamal Thomas, Minila Chan, Malik Abdul. Back in a moment. Fault Lines. Fault Lines. Welcome back to Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik. My name is Jamal Thomas. I'm joined with Manila Chan and Malik Abdul coming to you live out of our station in Washington, D.C. If you guys just so happen to find yourself in the D.C. area, you can catch us on radio at 105.5 FM and 1390 AM. We're also kicking around in Kansas City at 102.9 FM and 104.7 FM. If you guys are digging what we're putting down, whatever platform you're consuming this content on, give us a like, share the audio or video. If you want to join in on the conversation, we'll, you can do so with a chat, a tweet, and a course. You can reach us by phone at 202-521-1320. Your engagement helps make this show what it is. Definitely don't be shy. I want to bring in our guests. We have Mark Sloboda. He's an international relations and security analyst and friend of the show at this point. Mark, what's going on, my man? How are you doing this morning? Jamal, Manila, thanks for having me. It's always an honor and a pleasure to be on Fault Lines. And friend at this point. Like, like I wasn't a friend before? Well, you are. Yeah. You are. But we bring you on so often. At this point, you're easily a friend of the show. I always say one of my favorite people to talk to, um, especially on an issue like this. So, right here, the Malaysian Airlines Boeing 777 was flying from Amsterdam to Kuala Lumpur when it was shot down over Donetsk region July 17, 2014. Moscow and Kiev basically traded blame <laughs> over who was at fault. A joint investigation team was tasked with investigating the crash, which included officials from Austria, Australia, Belgium, Malaysia, the Netherlands, Ukraine, but not Russia. Super weird. So the case comes down in The Hague. And right here, the decision was taken on Thursday by a Dutch court on an MH17 plane crash. This is being called political. It says the court found two Russian nationals, Igor Gherkin and Sergei Dubinsky, as well as Ukrainian citizen Linoid, I think this is Korechko, I'm guilty of downing the commercial flight. Now, the catch for this is Russia makes the argument that this was done under extreme political pressure. Right here, the court was under unprecedented pressure during the hearings. The Russian foreign ministry stated, committing on the verdict, quote, there can be no talk of objectivity or impartiality under the circumstances, unquote. It added, pointing to attempts by Dutch, quote, politicians, prosecutors, and media to oppose a politically motivated verdict in this case. They also made point of saying, right here, the Russian military earlier published documents that the missile bearing a similar serial number to the one that was found in the MH17 crash site had previously been handed over to Ukraine. Um, the fact that Kiev failed to close the airspace over the conflict zone of the tragedy also didn't receive a proper legal assessment. Quote, we regret the fact that the Hague District Court disregarded the principles of impartiality of justice in favor of the current political situation, the ministry said in his statement. Give me your take on this. Give me, for one, let's start with the beginning. What happened to flight MH17? MH17? And on top of that, give me the reason why Russia is basically saying, look, this was a dodgy political prosecution. This isn't legitimate. Right. The Russians were not allowed to be part of the investigation. Which is super weird in general. When you had two of their nationals that were the accused. But Ukraine was. Which is, again, super weird. Give me your take on this, Mark. Yeah. Okay. So first of all, I think it's important to note that uh, although this trial took place in 
the uh, uh, Dutch town, the the Hague, the city. It is not the Hague as in a war crimes trial, right? It is the it is a local district court. This is not some type of UN uh, uh, under the aegis of the UN uh, and uh, international uh, human rights organizations. This is a court being conducted in the Netherlands with interested parties involved. In Hague. And that's an important distinction, right? To say it's not the Hague, it's in Hague. Uh, Yeah, yeah. That's why I, I keep hearing Western media saying this. Russia was were found guilty in The Hague. And I'm like, no. you're referring to that as if it's a war crime. Oh, no, this is not some internationally UN agents approved thing. This is a Dutch district court. Right. right. Um, so um, it's it, needless to say that it, it, it does certainly not have the same international standing. Uh, second of all, I actually do not have a problem with Russia not being involved in the investigation, but certainly Ukraine should not have been involved <laughs> either. Right. Right. So the, the evidence involved in this trial was presented. It was anonymous witnesses and anonymous in uh, evidence <laughs> provided by the intelligence service of the regime that had seized power in the country with open Western including Dutch backing, right? <laughs> um, and um, uh, had been sending airstrikes to kill its own civilians in the area into subjugation to the seizure of power in Kiev. But they're allowed to present anonymous evidence and anonymous witnesses, and R- Russia's not even allowed to challenge this. Now, uh, what happened was uh, this flight was flying over East Ukraine, where the civil conflict was uh, already waging that time between a NATO-backed regime in Kiev that had seized, overthrown the government and seized power in the country, and a Russian-backed opposition in eastern uh, Ukraine that did not recognize the overthrow of the government. And at at, at this point, um, the uh, Kiev regime, and the initially they didn't have control of the military in the country. The military was simply not responding to the new regime. Tens of thousands uh, of military police and security services uh, defected uh, or simply left service um, either to um, uh, Crimea and Russia or or to the the new Donbass, the, the new Donbass declared republics. Um, at the time. Um, and um, it, it took several months for uh, the Kiev regime to get control of the military. And then they started sending in for a brief period of time um, airstrikes. Um, and um, uh, they were launching airstrikes against the center of Lugansk and, and Donetsk. Um, and uh, under aegis of this, they were also extremely worried about Russia backing uh, the um, the the rebels to the new regime in East Ukraine. Uh, so they were very worried that Russian aircraft would 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 come after them for that. That that never happened. Uh, but they were on hair trigger alert, and they had a large number of a Soviet um, anti-aircraft system, uh, missile firing anti-aircraft system, books in the area. Um, and um, 
it all the evidence presented the, the most convincing evidence. There's a lot of stories out there about what could have happened. It does seem like the most salient story is that uh, this plane, the civilian passenger plane, which should not have been flying over this conflict zone, the Kiev regime should have closed the airspace, um, but it was shot down by a, a Buk air defense missile. Now, Buk uh, air defense missiles were in service in Ukraine uh, on both sides of the conflict, right, by the regime, and there were a number of Buks that ended up in the hands of uh, the East Ukrainian rebels. Uh, now, the, the narrative that the Dutch launched with the Kiev regime's help uh, investigation um, and the preceding trial uh, tried to basically claim that a book system was tr transferred for Russia and they had a, a um, uh, an evidence trail for this thing that relied entirely on open source information that came off of the Internet which of course is completely reliable and everything, <laughs> um, and to trail this book, uh, not one of the books that was already in Ukraine, but but uh, a Russian book that was just handed over uh, to the rebels, uh, which these are actually, they, they take training to operate these things, um, and um, shot down uh, this plane, supposedly, which was flying at an altitude way above what normal combat aircraft fly at, because it was flying at the altitude of a, um, uh, a civilian airliner, which is much higher. And there's a lot of questions about this. Um, uh, Russia uh, claims, first of all, Ukraine has uh, ultimate responsibility because uh, they should have closed the airspace down, but they say that it was not a Russian or an East Ukrainian book that brought it down, that uh, the uh, serial numbers on the debris and a lot of other evidence about the uh, shrapnel found uh, as a result of the crash points towards it being a book missile that was you know, uh, you know, transferred during the Soviet era, you know, with the division of the Soviet Union uh, that was in Ukraine. It was an older missile model. Um, now, the Kiev regime, uh, uh, you know, completely denied this. They said it uh, uh, it was a um, the uh, the East Ukrainian rebels uh, who brought it down with Russian help and so forth and so on. Um, now, here's the thing. Even even the Dutch narrative tries tries to say uh, try acknowledges that well they didn't whatever happened you, they're claiming that it was the east ukrainian uh, rebels who brought it down but that they didn't intend to bring down a civilian airliner that they believed they were firing at a combat aircraft and there's actually a lot of evidence at the time that the kiev regime uh fighters were using civilian airlines as cover for their bombing flights, which of course doubly makes them responsible um, uh, it, if it was the East Ukrainians who brought it down, which is actually uh, not what I believe that the evidence shows. Uh, so there's a, a lot of, of really gray stuff in this story. And the people that were tried in this court, they're not even the people that were supposedly operating this system. 
their leaders in the East Ukrainian uh, uh, militia movements. Um, one of them, uh, Igor Gherkin, is kind of a bete noir uh, for Ukraine of the East Ukrainian rebels. He's a, a Russian uh, volunteer with a, a, a pretty um, assorted uh, mercenary type history. And, you know, he's... It, their narrative is, oh, there would have been no rebellion against the Putsch regime in East Ukraine if it hadn't been for Igor Gherkin, uh, which is, of, of course, you know, their way for, uh, you know, um, uh, justifying the attacks of the new regime on, on the east of, of the country and said there, saying there would have been no resistance without Russia. Now, there were th four defendants in this trial, and only one of them accepted a lawyer, only one of them recognized the trial at all and agreed to be represented by a lawyer, Pulata. And he was found not guilty. <laughs> so uh, um, it, it, when, you know, his, he had a lawyer who actually challenged evidence in court, it couldn't stand up at all. Now, the fact that um, this was conducted in this way with the, the, the as far as I'm concerned, Either Russia and Ukraine both should have been involved or neither one should have been involved. Actually, the investigation should have been held by the International Civil Aviation Organization. And it, it was uh, it's a real crime that it was not. Um, but uh, as to the, the nature of this, and I do believe it was a politically motivated kangaroo court that ignored uh, all evidence uh, presented uh, by Russia, by the manufacturers of the missile systems that brought it down and instead relied on anonymous witnesses and evidence provided by the Kev regime's new intelligence organization uh, that was big, busy going after its own people in, in, in what it claimed were its own people in East Ukraine. But I don't think that you have to trust the Russian president or any Russian official's word on this. I think you should really consider the opinion of the prime minister of Malaysia when this investigation was launched, Mahathir Mohamed. And this was a Malaysian civilian flight. And Malaysia was involved, uh, you know, they had to be involved in this, but they were basically sidelined. And the, this Malaysian prime minister said um, uh, back uh, at the time that Russia was being made a scapegoat. That, that this trial, I mean, here, here's the article on Reuters. Malaysian PM says Russia being made a scapegoat for downing of flight MH17. And he questioned the objectivity of the investigation. Um, so he said, we're very unhappy, a political issue, uh, so forth. Um, uh, uh, and uh, he obviously considered the evidence that Russia was presenting uh, very compelling and rejected and was angry that it was not being uh, uh, approved in the court. Um, so it's amazing how the Western media has just bypassed that, right? Yeah, they just ignored it. Uh, meanwhile, the Dutch government was directly involved in the overthrow of the government in Ukraine, right? Um, the principal propaganda outlet and organizing uh, outlet uh, that was um, directing the Maidan Putsch um, was Hromatskia, which is still a, quote, media outlet 
in in Ukraine. It was started up basically on the eve of the protests by the U.S. and the Dutch embassies. And that's something that they freely admit. They provided the equipment. They provided the startup money. They provided continuing money all the way through. Um, and um, uh, they provided the, the, the trading, uh, you know, for the people in, in what was a propaganda outlet. And I mean, it, t- you could probably say uh, that, you know, oh, it's just a, a free media thing being arranged by the Dutch and the U.S. governments because, you know, uh, they don't do propaganda at all. Right. <laughs> uh, but there was a constant tagline over the course of the Maidan uh, on the Khromadskia, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, online news feeds, Revolutia, revolution, right? They're directly calling the protests and inciting it as a revolution from the very beginning. And lots of the people that were the, the principal figures uh, in the Maidan, you know, right, right in the protests, in the putsch, uh, in the, the, the new uh, regime that seized power, say the whole thing never would have succeeded without Hromadskia because it was a principal inciting and organizing and propaganda outfit for the whole thing. And it, that shows the involvement of the, the Dutch government in all of this, how they themselves are far from impartial in this issue. Um, and uh, this abs- the whole investigation, the whole trial should have been conducted uh, under international authorities, international civil aviation authority. And um, I, I just find real interesting, one of the arguments you know, that, um, the, that the U.S. Uh, has presented in the recent uh, Ukrainian air defense missiles that landed uh, in Poland and killed a few farmers is that Russia bears the ultimate responsibility because they were attacking and Ukraine was was firing air defense missiles. So even if you choose to believe that it was East Ukrainian rebels that that shot the plane down by accident, according even to the investigation, they believed they were defending their city from their cities from airstrikes that were being launched into the middle of the cities by the new regime in Kiev. Isn't, wouldn't, wouldn't that that train of logic also make regime in Kiev responsible for bringing it down? But, you know, of course, you know, it's not a consistent principled viewpoint. It's our side. That's what this is all about. Our side. And we can't take a propaganda hit on our side. So we railroad this kangaroo court from the beginning, uh, completely exclude and and basically from the beginning just declare that Russia, the East Ukrainian rebels, uh, that that Russia was backing are responsible. And we just completely overrun the president, the prime minister of the country whose airline was shot down, who said that this whole thing is an unobjective uh, scapegoating. Well, Mark, this comes, you know, this ruling comes right on the heels of the whole, you know, Ukrainian attack on Poland and which we know <laughs> has been been debunked. Right. It was Ukraine's missile, Ukraine's uh, S-300 that landed in Poland, killing two Polish citizens. And now you have this this ruling coming out of the city of Hague. I just want to be clear. I wanted to be careful on that one. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Coming out of the city of Hague. I mean, does one have any influence on the other? I mean, can't people see that obviously 
we just went through last week's debacle of it was immediately the Russians did it, the Russians did it, the Russians did it. I mean, did the this Dutch court not take any of that into consideration that maybe perhaps the the whole kangaroo court, maybe they were lied to. Maybe, you know, these witnesses were bearing false witness. I mean, we saw a little girl uh, back in the, you know, the, the war in, in uh, Iraq and Desert Storm, right? Babies are incubators. The, the little yeah. girl. Yeah, babies. Like, exactly. Yeah, babies you remember that? Incubators. The babies and incubators. Turns out she was, you know, she was an anonymous source. I don't know how she was anonymous. They showed the teenager's face. But she turns out she was like an ambassador's yeah. kid. I mean, her testimony was totally bogus and fake. How do they know that what they were delivered here at the city of Hague court, that that wasn't bogus and fake? Oh, you you don't trust anonymous witnesses <laughs> provided by the, the SBU, the Ukrainian Intelligence Service? And I just want to mention that, you know, as to the veracity of the Ukrainian intelligence services, they've inducted large members of Azov into their ranks because they are ideologically motivated and, and pure. And that was actually the uh, assassin who killed uh, the, the Russian uh, female uh, journalist and philosopher Daria Dugin um, it was a former Azov uh, member uh, uh, killer for the SBU. Um, there was also a, a picture uh, that the BBC took at a, um, a strike site uh, in Kiev uh, early in the conflict, someplace back about March. And the picture is still out there. Uh, BBC never took it down. They're showing an SBU, uh, I guess, uh, uh, official agent at the scene, and he's wearing an SBU jacket like an FBI would wear, you know, an FBI jacket, right? Except underneath the SBU, there's a second patch on this jacket, SS Galician Division, <laughs> which is the um, West Ukrainians who fought for the Nazi regime oh, in World War II. Wow. That's the, 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 uh, the actual Banderites, right? And that is an, a, 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 the BBC just took the picture right there. That's what they walk around in their intelligence service, right? Wow. So, yeah, I, I don't trust them. Uh, you know, like I said, I don't think, you know, if this was an impartial organization conducted without or the participation of either Russia or Ukraine or with both of them, it should have still been an international authority. That's Dutch kangaroo court is unobjective. Uh, the Netherlands isn't impartial in this itself to begin with. And, and the whole thing is a, a, a politically uh, motivated show trial. Sorry. Well, if this is, there's no um, justice for, for the people killed in this. And by the way, there won't be any justice for the gas prompt thing either. I mean, because that's supposed to be an investigation. They're excluding Russia from that investigation. And yet they're supposed to expect. Yeah. I mean, it's like we're going to expect Russia to accept the results of something that they weren't party of. Same thing with us. It's like we're going to exclude them from it, but we're going to allow Ukraine to be part of it. That makes no sense, especially since Ukraine was partial. Yeah. And I mean, uh, with the whole Nord Stream thing, even the NATO countries involved right in the area, Sweden, uh, we don't want to be part of this investigation either. <laughs> it's so dirty, right? <laughs> it's too right. sensitive. Uh, we might have to admit things we don't want to admit, right? <laughs> oh, I don't expect them to admit anything real in that investigation at all. Um, Mark, is this going to have any kind of I don't know, international consequences beyond just pointing the finger. 
Like, is it just, okay, we're going to finger point at Russia it, for this and now we're just not, moving on? Of, 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 of course, the three individuals that they've uh, scapegoated for for this and, and declared as responsible at, at, at some level will, of course, never show their heads in the West or any country uh, where they could be uh seized by this and like i said the one person who did choose to be represented by a lawyer uh, when under you know uh cross-examination the evidence didn't hold in court and they they let him go the other ones were tried in absentia yeah right with no representation and, and just declared to be guilty so um yeah this isn't going to have any sig uh, significant uh uh you know effect internationally it's not going to have any bearing on the course of the conflict. Well, where are these and guys uh, it, it is a shame because time? there should be. Where are these guys going to have to serve out their time, Mark? Oh, you mean if they were captured? Yeah, like, I mean, is anybody going to give anyone up? Yeah, well, like, they're not going to be. No, of course, there's no extradition treaty between Russia and 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 they're not in the hands of the Western government. And, you know, that, you know, it, none of this is this is like the Kiev regime, you know, routinely declaring people around the world as enemies of the states and criminals. <laughs> right. It's not, it's, I, I seriously doubt that anyone is going to be arresting Henry Kissinger for <laughs> Right. The regime in uh, Kiev. Extraditing <laughs> Kissinger for Ukrainian justice. Uh, if we have. Uh. The most recent, the, the recent reports, I mean, it came out by the Washington Post. I'm sorry. New York Times basically co-signed it. But the Russian troops being, it's, it, at this point, seemingly tortured or murdered um, by Ukrainian captors. Give me your take on that. I mean, are you surprised that the West even acknowledged that that was legitimate? Usually... They whitewash the stuff. Yeah. Um, so they do whenever they can to get away with it. You will remember that. I mean, there's routine. This stuff type of going on is is routine. And stuff like this happens in a war. Right. Let's be honest. Um, uh, uh, tempers are angry. People's friends are killed and, and things that shouldn't happen happen. But they don't always film themselves doing it and then putting it online as propaganda, right? That was that super is, weird. I, they were I, that is a new on, level of, of. Well, it was on like Ukrainian telegram channels and stuff like that where they were like bragging about it, which was like, whoa, you're bragging about a war crime? Yeah. Um, so, first of all, these guys are only Russian under Russian law, right? These are actually all DNR militia. They're, they're, they were East Ukrainians. The regime in Kiev technically regards these people as Ukrainians, just as collaborators, right? Uh, so these weren't even Russian Russians. These are East Ukrainian Russians, right? They believe they're part of Russia. The regime in Kiev doesn't. Um, and uh, what appears to be happening, they were uh, setting up a, a forward uh, operating post in Marienka, uh, and they got surrounded by forces, and they got talked into surrendering. Um, and then uh, they, uh, uh, you know, came out, laid down, and, and then there is the video cuts out, which is um, uh, where it cuts out is uh, really strange. Uh, one of the stories about what happens is that the last uh, DNR up surrendering didn't surrender and started firing at the Ukrainians and maybe injured one of them. That is not completely clear. But even if that was true, 
that's not an excuse for what was obvious in where the video picked up again, the pictures picked up again, where each one of these soldiers still laying in position on the ground with their hands uh, behind their heads had 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 someone come up right and uh, uh, unload a pistol into the back of each one of their heads. I mean, that, that that's perfectly clear. And the New York Times admits this. We've previously seen them. Uh, we've again filming themselves. Um, uh, shooting systematically Russian uh, prisoners of war in the leg as they were forced off of a truck and then leading, letting them bleed out to death on the ground where they kicked and beat and harassed them and filmed the whole thing. This type of – and this is the type of sadism, right, that it really isn't representative of Ukrainians, but it has become dominant among the military forces because of the presence of these far right uh, ideological fighters in the front, you know, interspersed throughout the military forces or in their own discrete battalions and the National Guard. And it's really tainted a lot of other people around it. There's a very interesting report from an American neo-Nazi, oh, of course, that fighting for the, the Kiev regime. Yeah, Boneface. 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 Bone yeah. Yeah. Um, this guy is a real piece of work. He's he's um, uh, known. Uh, he's got blue skull-like tattoos etched all over his face, um, and um, he um, ha has been saying that you know, well, a lot of the things that are happening over. The there that the Western media, you know, says that Russia is presenting disinfo about. Actually, uh, it's all true, right? Yeah. <laughs> he's mm -hmm. like, he's there. All the real skinheads went to Ukraine to fight for the regime, uh, and he support. He fought in right sector. He fought in um, uh, Azov, right? And he fought alongside Tornado. And he says those guys are too hardcore even for us, right? Yeah. They were. He says. They were making prisoners rape each other under threat of death with guns pointed at their heads. Things like you know, really well, charming things Mark, like he, that. He and confirmed. he says he was against that. He said he said he, he, he confirmed that he was there to witness a couple. I forget in what city when he was with Right Sector that they took uh, who was presumed to be a Jewish couple. The lady was pregnant and they hanged the couple publicly, a pregnant woman with a big belly. Uh, it was presumed they were Jewish. It's unconfirmed if they were, but the, the Right Sector nonetheless hanged them because they assumed they were a Jewish family and they hanged them publicly. Disgusting. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's disturbing. Uh, he confirms a lot of a, a lot of, as he himself puts it, a lot of heinous feces. Um, um, and um, you know, he says that you know a lot of this is presented, and Western media says, "Oh, this is Russian conspiracy theories, and it's debunked." And he's like, "No, it's all true." No, uh, yeah, we were all doing it. And he's not, you know. He's, he's like he doesn't support the U.S. in Ukraine because he thinks that the that NATO supporting the regime there is um, uh, impunging the true fascist character, the yeah. true nationalist <laughs> character of the regime. He yeah. he wants the U.S. to get out of this so yeah. the nationalists can have their victory and complete control over the regime, not just fighting uh, in its ranks. Yeah, he's a real piece of work. Yes. Uh, it is definitely work reading. 
the interviews conducted totally. with this guy. Why this? He he says that he was this neo-Nazi was you know working over there, and there were was uh, U.S. intelligence that were like. Yeah, um, yeah, we know what you're doing. Uh, can we just sit in on and see what you're teaching these guys, right? <laughs> like, wow. Um, and and he recounts all this. This is something that's definitely worth reading. And and he's gone back uh, several times to Ukraine, even after uh, you know uh, them then supposedly going after him. I guess for opening his mouth, being too honest about some things. He still supports Azov and the like, and talks about uh, returning to do it all again. Uh, and there's no reason for this guy to lie. And um, if 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 only this was the Azov guy that the Western media was presenting rather than the whitewashing that they've tried to do over the last few months. Well, I mean, yeah, this this American Azov guy is historian yeah, wild. Ken McClellan is his real name. Mm-hmm. Interview with Boneface, U.S. Yeah. neo-Nazi ex-member of Azov but, I mean, Battalion. Basically, to Mark's point is that, you know, he was saying, like, he want, he doesn't support NATO, doesn't support the EU, because basically he, you know, he's with the right sector and that he wants the right sector to have, like, Bandera stand yeah. or something. Yeah. Wow. Mark? <laughs> Dark. To put it mildly, um, yeah, Manila brought this up, this guy up early, and just a crazy, pleasant-looking guy with bone he tattoos all over his face. Skeletor yeah. would totally yeah. want yeah. my daughter to bring him home. Totally be okay with that. <laughs> um, yeah, with all Nazi paraphernalia yeah, and everything else. Amazing. Wow, Mark, always appreciate you joining us, man. Mark Sloboda, international relations and security analyst. You can follow Mark on Twitter um, at Mark Sloboda One. You can follow him on his new YouTube channel, Real Politic with Mark Sloboda. Look, if you enjoy him on um, this show, you would definitely enjoy his Twitter channel. He always goes into this stuff. It's fascinating. Um, also, you can find him on Facebook, facebook.com slash Gramsheet. And let's do this. Let's take calls. The number is 202-521-1320. That is 202-521-1320. And Peter from Florida, if you indeed are still there, feel free. They hit yeah. us back. We give you an IOU on this one. Absolutely. And what is this? Let's see, a Wall Street Journal article. And heaviest fighting in years breaks out in the Congo as rivals seek the control of minerals. Oh, that's going to be rough. Been on that. Yeah. I mean, the, I would imagine you did report on that at some point. You used to do international politics all the time. So, yeah, Still I would do. imagine you're aware. Well, yeah, but yeah. As in, yes, you do. You do. No, I guess no, I'm saying. I mean, I have, I have a show, remember, on RT. Yeah, you I do. I still do that. Yeah, you still do. You still do. I, I guess I was thinking back during the times when the stuff was coming up, even but like— even when it was brewing— Yeah, exactly. —like a decade ago. Yeah. So, yeah, um, still do. But we have Tarif, New Orleans. What's going on, Tarif? Hey, Tarif. Thank y'all for taking my call. I missed two hours of y'all's show. Hey, How dare you, like, sir? Hang up on Tarif. How dare you? You're not hardcore. <laughs> <laughs> I was feeling bad, but 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 I'm feeling no good right now. No, so I'm first, we're okay. We're okay. Feel better. What's going on, man? Uh, first, I'd like to say, free Jonah Assange. Two comments. First comment is this: It seems like I'm still shadow ban, ghost ban, whatever. But I see uh, certain people that speak the truth. I think we're still going to be limited in a way, but everybody else going to be let on. As long as they talk about you know abortion or pro life or trans issues. I think that's going to flow on the internet. On internet Twitter, or just Twitter? On Twitter. On Twitter. Yeah. Look, they're letting Trump, you know, they, they reactivated um, his account, which I know y'all probably spoke about already, which is a good thing. But when you, you know, when a person like me or, or, or Jamal or Ms. Chan Malik, if we try to jump on the, the, the Twitter twin, 
threads, twigs. That's going to have more traction for us. But because, you know, I speak truth, Jamal speak truth, we're going to be shadow banned. You know, it seems like that's the way it's going to be. So I'm going to look for, I look for some um, another way when I get my message out there. And uh, hopefully, Julian Science, man, we got pushed for this man to get freed, man. He didn't win the Norwood's Priest Prize. I, I, I gave up on that, you know, for him getting, because they ain't going to give that to him. So, hope, you know, we got to push for him to get free. We got to keep on pushing Albert BC to uh, bring him home back to, um, uh, what you call that, um, Australia. Because this is getting out of hand, man, uh, with the, the Western world. Agree with you on this. I would hope or wish that Australia actually took care about their own resident in this particular situation. Um, but Tariq, they're a vassal state to America. So at this point, never... yeah. I mean, they actually, I mean, they acted as if they didn't care. Not just acted as if they didn't care when I, about the fact that their citizen was being taken out like this. Um, but Tariq, thank you, my man. We have Peter from Florida who called Peter's back. Peter's back. Welcome Good. back, Peter. What's going on, man? Hey, thank you. I just want to touch on something you guys did, the draft. Right now, the United States has got an economic draft. If you can't find a job in a neighborhood to support yourself, join the Army. If you want to go to college and don't have a rich mom and dad or somebody's had the ability to put money away, you join the Army and die. Now, what happens is, remember when Iraq was throwing the babies out of the incubators? Here's the key. You need to draft the .01% of this country. Nobody else. Because that Kuwaiti ambassador's daughter who told us that lie, the people in the New York Times knew that knew who this was. Their kids all go to the same elite schools. It was no secret. So what happens is if a kid goes to war over lies who's poor and gets burned up, dies, loses his legs, oh, that's a tragedy, but no politician gives a damn. If you take the board of directors of Google and lose two or three of their 18- or 19-year-old kids in a war over lies, there's hell to pay because it's the rich kids that get it. That's why you've got to draft the 0.1%. Yeah, and that's actually a very good point. Actually, it's something similar to what, uh, what was that, Brave? When yeah. Brave was talking about having um, skin, in, skin the game. in the game. That's right. And the 1%, you know, and a very good point, Peter, if you're rich, you're not, not sending your kid the to the military. Yeah. Unless it's in your family, you know, it's a history of it in well, your family. Well, I mean, family. Donald Trump didn't go. Well, did his dad? Was his dad in the military? Yeah, I, I don't think that. That's what I mean, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think, no, the rich typically, they don't. And they always talk about it. And it isn't just the 1% are members of Congress on the Hill. We always make the argument. And many times you have people who testify before Congress. They say, if you had some skin in the game, would you still be making the same decision? And of course, the answer is no. If you thought the choice that you were going to make was going to get your kid killed because your kid was going to be dragged into war, you may be less inclined to make that choice. And look, like I said, well, 2%. Well, it's why people that have seen war, like Tulsi Gabbard, who was a combat medic, yeah. right? Many, many deployments, she's a combat medic, which is why she's against war. war. Yeah, they which, be because she's about seen it. it. I mean, look, 2% of the country um, is in the military. Just 2%. And, you and think most it, of them do it for economic reasons. Right. Many of them do component. it for economic reasons. Uh, yes, there's a class component to it. But if that number wasn't 2%, then what? Meaning if the president... I just, you know, Nancy Pelosi takes her son to Taiwan to do business deals, almost starting a war with China. She's going to enrich him. 
But if he's going, if he gets drafted or their grandson goes into the military and he's on the front lines, then it's a lot harder to do war. That's what I'm trying to say. Right now, these politicians get rich over war. Uh, the, the defense contractors lavish them with money and jobs. But if their kids come back burned up, it's a whole different story. Let me ask you this. Should it be a war tax? Meaning if companies like um, companies have to take the hit also if we're going to war. And thank you for having this discussion because nobody on CNN or CBS will. Of course not. Of course not. I mean, from their standpoint, they look at it as war is, well, they don't even bring it up per se. I mean, they're showing commercials for many of these companies. Well, war, war is profitable. Yes, yeah, profitable. And, and those are the people that, that finance these shows. I guess what I'm asking so is, in the, should it be profitable? Funds. Meaning, should policy go into play? Like right now, they're talking about an energy tax. Basically, we don't like companies getting rich off of energy, um, especially when the citizens in the countries are basically hurting for it, whether you're talking about the UK or something like that. Should there be something like that for war? Like, meaning the weapons contract. Think of the amount of money that Raytheon and many of these war companies have basically made. It creates an incentive for those countries to push, or those companies to push these guys to act that way. Well, maybe they shouldn't be allowed to do that. I mean, I could be wrong. Well, you know, they're, they're making billions. We've covered it here. We but that's my point. Yeah. Maybe they shouldn't be making billions. That, meaning them making billions creates an incentive for them to give those politicians more money to make certain aberrant choices from the standpoint of the country itself. I mean, isn't this any different than us saying the size of the military industrial complex? That's what lobbyists are there for. Right. That's what these government contracts entities and all are there yeah, for. That's what they do. And look, even and to Peter's point, if you had a majority, if you had a large number of the population, let's say it wasn't two percent, let's say it was thirty percent, would be would be so inclined to allow this stuff yeah. to pass. It, it, even if it were a quarter, yeah. let's say a quarter of Americans, yeah. I, I think we would be having much different discussions. Twenty five percent of three hundred twenty million people is a large number of people. That's a large a number of people. of people. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I. You have good points, though, Peter. I mean, yeah, as much as, as I would love to exact revenge on the people that put us in this position, because I'm, I'm absolute on this, like that on where I stand on this, it, it just, what's fair is fair is fair. I, I for me, I'm still a hard Look, no on I don't that. disagree with you on this, actually. I cringe at this idea of them forcing and, and, people to go into and, conflict. I mean, like when you look at the IDF, for example, in Israel, yeah. what that has created, sure, yes, on to Brave's point and, and to Peter's point, there's skin in the game and people care a little bit more. Fine, I get that. But but what hap- what ends up happening at the IDF is you actually create a mass indoctrination yes, campaign. Right there. It's that part. Campaign. And then when these people get out of the military, they are still like very much invested in hating Arabs or Palestinians and Muslims and and it just it just creates this cycle. Now everybody is forced into this indoctrination, and I'm not cool with that. Not to mention, you're going to get this thing of, well, I had to do it, so all of these other people you should do. have to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I don't like this idea of dragging people into the military willy-nilly like this. I mean, not everybody wants to do that. Um, and yeah, I agree with you. I don't necessarily like this idea of this culture that gets instantiated with people in it. By the same token, I agree with Brave's point, too. But like, I, I, get, I get his yeah, point. I just point don't agree sense. with it. Yeah. <laughs> But Peter, look, thank you. You guys are listening to Fault Lines. My name is Jamal Thomas, Manila Chan, Malik Abdul. I want to thank our producers. Yes. I want to thank our engineer. I want to thank all of you, your listeners, you callers, right radio listeners. All the rumblers. Or rumblers. Um, look, Fault Lines, Thomas, Chan, Abdul. We will see you guys bright and early tomorrow morning on a Tuesday before the hump. <laughs> Have a good one, guys. <laughs> Fault Lines.